Hello and welcome to episode 199 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And it feels like I haven't seen you in like forever. How's it going? How's life? Um, it's alright. That's good. That's good. Because like we've been busy, the two of us. Um, you spent a week in San Francisco at GDC. I just came back the other day from some time in Boston for PAX East, which is why our episode's posting a few days late. And uh, it's also, all this is why our episode is titled Conventional Wisdom. Uh, yeah, because conventions and... Anyway, seriously though, we have a lot to discuss this episode. Um, we're going to have impressions of more than a dozen upcoming titles for Switch, including the likes of SteamWorld Quest and Creature in the Well and Untitled Goose Game and Stranger Things the Game and the Switch version of Mortal Kombat 11 and the Switch version of Cuphead and the list just goes on and on and on. And um, we also have thoughts on the conventions themselves and on the Nintendo North American Open they did for uh, Smash and Splatoon. So there's timestamps. More so than in most episodes, I feel like you might want to use them on the blog post around com or on the YouTube video because there's just like, there's a lot of games to talk about. Like literally, probably the most impressions we've ever given, given in a single episode. Um, but yeah, true to our title though, I think we need to start with the conventions themselves. Because like you and I, we're seasoned vets of this whole convention going thing, right? Like we've done E3, we've done, I don't, how many con cons have we been to at this point? Seven or eight. Yeah, like we've done a lot of those. We've been to no, one. The first one we paid. The one first one we got to the convention was twenty twelve. Yeah, twelve. So. so that would be seven, seven, eight if you count the like one day day trip we did the first yeah, year. Yeah, well, well, we're gonna. It's gonna be eight this year. Yeah, yeah. So, so we've done a ton of those. We've done a couple E three. You've done an E three. I've done a few E threes. We've done some Wonder Cons. We've done a bunch. But I think for us, and I guess indirectly yeah, for the podcast, like the CTNs and yeah. Designer cons, you've been to complex cons, even, complex like, con even completely times. different types of conventions. Right, too. like we're we're well seasoned. We are pro. Like when people are like, "Oh, this line is like line con," I'm like, "No, no, no, that's just conventions. That's just what conventions are. Like it's not this line con is bad. It's every con is line con." But anyway, yeah, I mean, if any con is line con, it's Comic Con. The thing, actually, actually, yeah, no, that's a fair assessment. E3 comes pretty close. I wait three and a half hours for seven minutes of Pokemon. Let's go. Yeah, but some people have to wait like the day before. To get That's true. Just something. to see, like Zach Levi talk about Shazam for two minutes on stage, yeah, or to get like one toy at Hasbro, right, right. So yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that. Um, Assuming they made it through the first line to get the lottery ticket that got them a spot and to get right, the second right. line, right. So, so we're we're well versed in the horrors of line cons, but I think for us, and I guess indirectly for the podcast, what we attended these past couple weeks, GDC and PAX East, those are entirely new territory, um, which is kind of exciting. So how how was GDC like? How's it compared to what you've been to? How's it compared to the line cons and all that? Because I imagine it being a more developer-focused industry event, pretty different tone than, say, like E3, right? I would say it was a lot calmer, which is very nice. It was just a very nice change of pace for conventions. Because mm-hmm. most conventions are they're mainly consumer-driven, so it was just, you know, like free slack here. I mean, there was still plenty of free slack. Would you say the swag, the, the hard-hitting question, is the swag at GDC better or worse than any of the other conventions we've been to? It's more practical. Interesting. Because you get a lot so of... like tape measures? Because you get a lot of clothes. You get socks, you get shirts, you get a lot of pencils. I mean, it's like a lot of like office supplies kind of stuff. With Which the, makes sense because it's a business first. Yeah, with the occasional like adapters and penguins wearing pig costumes and it's, uh, sorry, back up on the penguins wearing pigs and part. skulls. I already did that, Jason. Oh, I'm referring to putting the volume down. Yes, yeah. I was trying to mute his computer. He actually to... unmuted it. Yeah, um, I, I'm horrible. Wind anyway. up skulls that bounce. Um, 
a lot of them are pretty wacky and sometimes I have to listen to developers talk about their their coding process and how <laughs> I like how it's like sometimes I had to listen to like the reason they have a booth just to get the dancing skull but I mean literally yes because yeah. I wanted the dancing skull and right that's fair and obviously they're like oh so do you use any of the software and I'm like well some of the people in my team might have and that was good enough for them because they just want their brand to yeah it's all spread. about brand exposure yeah. totally that's why like a lot of big conventions have big parties like I didn't go to this but at PAX there's a huge uh, predator like the gaming I mean, it, PCs it, it, had a huge blowout party that was like nuts because they just wanted to get the word out about, I kid you not, a chair. So they did a giant party and took over a venue and had confetti and pyro and – anyway, you are saying. I mean it goes without saying because that's the name of the convention, Game Developers Conference. But yeah. it, it really does feel like you're going behind the scenes of a E3 because instead of seeing like booth after booth of game demos, you're more seeing like booth after booth on cloth simulation, um, procedurally generated mountain software – like mocap stuff <laughs> like that is very specific procedure generated mountain software yeah because that's what i saw and i was like well that's interesting You're like I wow just, it's a mountain but it was like, procedure yeah, generated. there's a whole like company dedicated to making very realistic mountains that are randomized but still have accurate enough topography like it was like kudos to them <laughs> like i'm sure they'll find someone yeah yeah the and, next breath of the wild and then but i believe my favorite part was there's a section called alt controls which is mm, pretty much I've a booth dedicated just to weird controls, inputs that, I mean, they all feel like things that you would find at, like, 2-Bit Arcade slash Dave & Buster's slash, like, those kind of places. Dave, or 2-Bit Arcade, for those that don't live in the L.A. area, I feel like I'm, like, the little footnote, is a new venture by the son of the Chuck E. Cheese founder, and it's, like, a hipster millennial version of Chuck E. Cheese. So everything skews a little older, they have a bar, but it's not quite Dave & Buster's because it's, like, a little more, like, hip, like, everything's wood-paneled and steampunk-looking. And, and I feel <laughs> Two Bit Arcade has a few more unique feeling games than Dave and Buster. Dave and Buster oh, totally. yeah. definitely has the more arcadey stuff. If anything, they're transitioning more to Japanese style arcades because they're bringing over literally a bunch of Japanese arcades and all the VR. Yeah, and Dave and Buster's. Oh no, no, yeah, Dave and Buster's starting to do VR. Oh, they have okay. Halo and they're gonna do Mario Kart. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, and then um, but Two Bit Arcade, you know, has like a bunch of weird, more like simulation stuff, not so much like. Mark Christ stuff like oh pretend you're flying pretend you're I yeah mean, they, so they have, have VR in that regard they also have like um, indie they don't have regular arcade games they have indie cabinets which are really cool like Killer Queen we're getting Killer Queen Black on Switch but the original Killer Queen was at indie K uh, two bit arcade yeah they put in a lot of work to make it look nice and they have yeah and they have the Midway which is like art which is like carnival style games except they're all somewhat augmented by like screens yeah. so they have like literally a physical version of bumper balls from Mario Party but you just roll balls yeah. the point is you see like yeah. a bunch of like test stuff for vr that will probably never get put into the public or maybe even put into a game right but like the things that stood out to me at least of note were the there's an all control game where you have to pull a rope to control the chicken so the chicken is climbing a rope and the faster you pull the faster the chicken climbs but there are also obstacles on the rope and you have to press a big button a big right button a big left button to change between ropes so you don't get hit mm. it's essentially a more fleshed out Mario Party mini game, mm-hmm. but it was really cool because you're just pulling a physical rope the whole time. But the rope is like a giant loop, so it's infinite, right, so, right? Yeah, and I, I assume it has some like uh, tension on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like pressed between two rollers, and right, it, it's really well made. And then there was another game where you have to. It's a one v one, and you're shoveling, I guess, quote unquote, coal, which are really just golf balls painted black. 
into a funnel on don't your spoil the don't spoil the yeah. the magic. <laughs> well, they have to roll. Cole wouldn't be rolling this well. That's true. And you you have to shovel it and put it into a funnel, which will then basically put the balls back into your bucket that you have to keep shoveling infinitely. Uh huh. And you're doing this so that your train on a giant display in front of you will go faster than your opponent's train. But at the same time, you also have diverging tracks that you have to watch out for. So if you're if you're going towards the dead end, you have to switch to a different track with a lever with a lever behind you. Interesting. So you have to turn around and quickly pull the lever and then change directions. But then you also have like chickens and other animals that are trying to cross the road. So sometimes you have to slow down, mm-hmm. which means you have to both sometimes apply the brakes, which is another lever behind you on the other side. So it's like a lot of like frantic, like oh, like multitasking. Kind it's very of physical. Thing. Sounds yeah. like. Did you did you get to try? This is the only thing I know from all control, and I only know it because when I saw it, I'm like. Okay, this is literally. Remember last episode we were talking about uh, how we did Tetris ninety nine, but as co op with five people. Uh-huh. They had that, but not exactly. They had a Tetris game where there were a bunch of NES. Con- did, did you do this? Maybe you didn't. But there were a bunch of NES controllers, but each one only had a single button on it. They ripped off the other buttons on the controller, so each person only could do a part of Tetris. So one was like moving the block around, one was dropping it fast, one was spinning it. Like it was all, and you had to verbally communicate as you're playing your messed up broken nes controllers and i was just like that's literally what we did with tetris 99 except we didn't have to rip apart classic retro video game hardware to do it but yeah but yeah that's yeah that sounds pretty cool i wish i had found that the only other thing of note was um a couch co-op game which was literally a couch co-op game like like the like couch was a controller yeah like the couch is the game it's like a big couch and uh-huh. based on the vibrations and sounds that it makes you and your teammates have to jump around and move between different cushions Interesting. So is the idea of alt control just to like let developers kind of run wild. Like who does G- I guess GDC sponsors that? It's just like developers so, yeah. run wild, and, or well, because it doesn't sound as businessy as some of the other stuff. There, they're on the side of the convention where people are hoping to find publishers. So uh, they're hoping that people walk by and see this, and then they're like, "Oh, I want this for my arcade, or I want I could see this being a full game." Let's right? Publish or can we and, put that creativity in a digital space and yeah, it on or Steam like or that, Switch yeah. or whatever? Right. Interesting. So, yeah, so it's it was very interesting in that regard, and I definitely liked the the calmer pace of it. Mm-hmm. Like even though I did get a lot of swag and there was a lot of walking, it was definitely still it wasn't as exhausting. It wasn't mentally exhausting, right? Right. Or maybe that's also because More maybe, the... maybe after years of doing so many different conventions, I knew to pace myself for the first one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the first thing we went to Comic Con where we felt like oh I have to go to try to do everything and which for the everything. record we did. But yeah. just barely. It was it was a struggle. Yeah, so this time I'm like, all right, I'm just going to schedule like a meeting or two and just enjoy the exhibition hall. And right. I took my laptop so I was able to work on some animation over there. Uh-huh. You know, did a lot of networking, changed a lot of business cards, both from my Nintendo, for my yeah. game dev team, word of mouth games, indie games, so I guess we're Wamig. Wamig for short. And That's not a bad name, Wamig. Yeah, we, we kind of. Oh, yeah, go, by the way, everyone. We, we, we kind of go by that. Um, we never really talked about this on the show. You do you you make games now. Yeah, I'm officially a, a Yeah, game like that's how you got to GDC. We have our own fancy website and everything. Word of mouth games dot com? Or word of mouth indie games. So dot Wom- or yeah, Wom- word of mouth indie games dot com or just Womig.com. You know what? I'm not sure. It's in our card, but You know, I'd say you're doing a horrible job plugging your studio, make... but I I plugged the, your studio, the, the, not the, you. The website <laughs> is pretty new. I mean we just made it pretty recently just in time for the show right so i haven't really had a chance to really explore it i mean we only have two games under our belt but i'm the only animator so i'm the animator right but how yeah. cool is that like you've, you've gone from just oh, yeah. like covering games with us here yeah, my to like was... also making games. yeah my badge was literally animator word of mouth indie games which is super cool yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very so legit. how was how was um 
what's the booth? What are the booths like? Because like, like E3 is very flashy. Comic Con's like a mix uh, I mean, of flashy. It's still kind of like, like PlayStation's booth still felt like PlayStation's booth, right? And with the exception of, I guess PlayStation's booth, it was pretty much just games. Um, he did send me a photo of Nintendo's booth. Oh, which was a weird blacked out, <laughs> closed table. off cube. <laughs> yeah, so I guess like Nintendo historically doesn't really have a presence at. GDC, but uh-huh. I was determined to find them in some capacity. And there's a place called the Business Center. It's pretty much just like a black labyrinth of like portable cubicles that you just that they just made. And every company you could think of is there. It, it looks like a space where they just literally do interviews and that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. And yeah, like going in there, I found like Nintendo's little table, and next to them, like were the doors where they were holding their interviews, and they each had like an icon from a Mario game, which is really cool. And they were all the retro icons, yeah. right? Yeah, like the eighty or the the. Yeah, they were hiring and doing that kind of stuff. So, and now you have a job at Nintendo, and he's leaving the podcast. No, uh, but yeah, that's that's interesting because, like, I feel like on the flip side, oh, well, what right. else about? Oh yeah, 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 the only thing I was gonna say. Yeah, that, I was gonna say. Yeah, the only place that felt mainly like E three, yeah, E three or Comic Con was the. Wow, I'm blanking out. Oh, the Unreal booth because Unreal has. Oh my god, why am I always banking on these? Oh, yeah, Unreal, Unreal Engine? No, well, they have that, yeah, but they have Fortnite. Oh, yes. And because they have they Fortnite. And, and the Epic Games Store. Wait, Epic Games has Unreal and Fortnite. Yeah, but yeah. because they have Unreal Fortnite, has Epic Games, yeah. It kind of felt like they just brought back their, their booth from E3. It was just like a giant Fortnite party. They had, like, the, the mechanical pinata that you could ride. They had, like, a vendor where you could get fresh cookies, beer, popcorn, shirts. Oh, it's literally the... It, yeah, was, Literally the E3 booth. Yeah, it was pretty much a party. Like, you could play, like, a bunch of games there and just sit on, like, these beanbags. It was very... It was very chill, very cool. And on the other end, you had Unity's booth, which pretty much just looked like they got the designer of Cards Against Humanity to design their booth. Was it all that same, like, white on black? Yeah, font? every single... It was really big, but they, every station they had, like, they had the communication station, the the networking booth, the, the t-shirt-making booth, or the... Or the simulation stuff, but there were all these black obelisks that had that same white font, so everything uh-huh. was just black with the white. Oh, so from far away, it almost looked like wait, Cards Against Humanity. It's like, oh, it's just Unity. <laughs> oh, it's just Unity, the biggest engine for indies in the world. Just Unity. and of course, there was like a tiny little section for tabletop games because you kind of forget that game dev game devs are still kind of like that is part of the what the bubble. Funny is it, there was a very big presence of tabletop at uh, PAX at PAX East. They, yeah, they they really like. Yeah, Comic Con and those other places typically do have bigger board game stuff. It it is fine that, like, unless there's any other thoughts on Um, GC, as a convention. I mean, they had this really cool place called The Garden, like, right outside the convention center. Oh, Niantic had a thing there for Pokemon Go, didn't they? They did have a giant physical, like, Pokestop-looking thing. Yeah. But that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice thing, like, it just seemed like a nice place to just meet and just talk to random people. Because, I mean, they have giant chess boards, pretty much giant everything, giant Battlefield, giant Connect, giant... Um, collect connect four giant right. Jenga, you know, because I guess at the end of the day it's all about networking, right? So yeah. anything that could help stimulate that is Basically, something they want to have, right? So it was a really which, good experience. Would we'll definitely go back again, especially for San Francisco, which I'd never been to before, and it was just yeah a lot nicer and uh, it's a lot of fun, really fun to walk around. Literally very spent compact, literally spent one day walking. Oh, no, 16 miles. How many miles did you walk your whole week there? Because when I was in Boston for PAX, I mean, we, we were at PAX for two of the five days we were in Boston. I walked 29 or 30 total miles or something like that. Whoa. But it seems like similar to, um, like, it seems like Boston and San Francisco have a long con because, like, you're, it sounds like 
like San Francisco is pretty walkable and Boston was surprisingly walkable as well. Like I thought we were doing all these different things, all these different places. And I realized we were just kind of walking in giant zigzags when we were doing the tourist stuff. Oh, but, but yeah, and it, 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 I guess almost kind of on the same token, there's some similarities between like GEC and PAX. Cause like on the flip side of everything you've said about how like GEC is about networking and whatnot, whatnot, like PAX is almost like, it's like the yin to GEC's yang. Like if GEC is all about the in, indie networking with, you know, the, people networking with one another with the middleware with the, the platform holders then pax is where the indies then try to appeal to the actual gamers it's like the logical next step after gdc kind of and you know there are of course a lot at least at pax are um that i saw there are a lot of big game publishers mm, i work like 40 miles okay you win you definitely you're also there an extra day not that i need to like defend myself but i'm doing it anyway i mean the fact about 16 miles and seven yeah 16 it's in one, one day, day is yeah. crazy yeah the most i did one day is like 12 or 13 but what, what I was trying to say about PAX That's is... what the uphills, too. Like, oh, it's yeah, like, it's hilly. It's not like I was just walking yeah. like the division hall. It was literally... There were a few times where I fell and I made a huge mistake. But I just powered through. <laughs> but it's too late. You already yeah. committed. Um, but yeah, you were saying about... Yeah, I was saying about PAX. Like, it felt very indie-heavy. Like, there were, of course, a lot of the big-name publishers there. Nintendo had a booth. Sony had a booth. Microsoft, Square Enix. Pff, Namco Bandai. THQ Nordic. I can go on and on. But I'd say, like, the split between indies and mainstream companies, quote-unquote, quote, was actually, like... It's pretty even. I'd even go as far as say it might have skewed slightly more in the indies' favor, which is interesting because it means that unlike a show like E3, PAX East very much felt focused on the games on hand versus like the pizzazz and the spectacle that you expect to see at a gaming convention. Wait, so how much was it? Like the convention? Oh, like for the, I don't recall. Like did you get the, the full... Like... Well, so we got two days, but oh. we decided kind of late to go. So one of the days we had to get secondhand through StubHub, which was overpriced. Oh. But they don't have names on the badges. But uh, I don't remember how much a ticket. I'm just price curious is. how much it was because how much? Well, GDC, yeah, GDC you're either industry it, or you're. Well, it's GDC is very weird. Fifty dollars like, a day for uh, Pax oh. East, so about the same as like WonderCon. Yeah, because for GDC you have different tiers. Uh-huh. Like, I just had the Expo Pass, which pretty much just lets me go to free talks and right. the Expo. Right. Which the Expo is only open from Wednesday through Friday. It's not open like Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. I mean Monday through Friday, and that was like a hundred and fifty bucks. For those three days, basically. Ah, oh, so it's but, like the same price per day. Yeah, but that's just the expo. Like, if you wanted, I guess, have the full experience, we're actually going to the panels and stuff. Yeah, it basically jumps from like a couple hundred to like a couple thousand. Well, that that makes sense because like E 3s industry pass is a thousand dollars. Yeah, so it's pretty. I guess it's no different. Than yeah, that. but yeah, Pax doesn't have that industry. I yeah. mean, the industry's there. Like, there yeah. were people of no. Almost like, like the price of the deterrent, just so that only people that get to go because of their companies that buy the tickets for them. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Full, full stop but and there was like some industry at PAX he's obviously um, you know different companies are there looking to see indie games to publish like I saw Kirk Scott he's Nintendo's now now they're Nindy liaison, uh, liaison after uh, Damon Baker left he hosted an indie showcase last week and um, he was Damon there Baker walking around too. he works at Xbox now he is now the indie guy at Xbox one of the indie guys at Xbox huh yep he moved across the street huh. uh, but yeah, so I saw you know Kirk saw there some there are some indie at Xbox program people that were talking at various uh, indies while I was playing their games. Like there was a lot of industry there. It's just not. It's way more consumer facing. But I do want backpedal for a sec because I was saying like there wasn't a lot of pizzazz or spectacle, and I kind of want to clarify that because there was like some of that. Like Sony, for example, they took a page from The Walking Dead's booth. They do it every con con had like live zombies 
walking around. Well, I use that term loosely, but you know, live zombies walking around behind a fence. That is to promote Days Gone, I believe. And then Nintendo had like this neat little spinning Yoshi crafted world display that was made out of like various crafty materials. Like it was like styrofoam and cardboard and all these other things. But like the vast majority of the booths at PAX were just games, games, games. Like I can only think of a few indies that really stood out. Tiny Build was one where they actually bought and installed a pair of real life coffins and put them in the booth and you could sit in the coffins to demo their switch game called grave digger which is this upcoming like cemetery resource management game they're making and they actually ordered the coffins from amazon and amazon's like why are we sending two coffins to a this is true i got a press release about it from them and they're like why is why are you sending two coffins to a warehouse and they're like oh it's for a coffin convention and amazon's like yeah that checks out it's sent it <laughs> Well, you need a permit to buy a coffin. No, but they're like, why? Because, you know, they're used to like more, uh, not mortuaries. They're used to like funeral homes or I guess mortuaries buying coffins. But they're not used to some random dude like, yeah, send it to this warehouse in Jersey. It like sounds super sketch. <laughs> so so oh, they I had to, they sure called to verify. Kill someone, I guess. Exactly. So they called to verify what was going on. And the tiny build guy was just like, yeah, it's for a coffin convention. And apparently that makes more sense than using coffins at a game convention. And they bought it. But anyway, um, I think what it actually, what like PAX kind of lacked in pizzazz it more than made up for in a way that I guess I guess I should have expected, but I didn't really think about it much before going. And that was there was this real sense of like community there, like almost like camaraderie. Like it's something in the past that you have I've talked about with Comic Con. You know, it's cool because whatever your fandom is at Comic Con, everyone there appreciates something. Everyone has something they're geeking out about. Everyone appreciates that everyone else appreciates something. Like it feels very like you could be into very different things, but you're like. I got you. I'm the same way about Twilight as you are about Mario or whatever. Mm, unless you were like within the same community and you're like, oh, you like this version of this? Like, oh, well, you're true. Lame. But my point is like, there's <laughs> no like heart. Like everyone's like in it together at Comic Con, right? Like you kind of get that whole. I, I've never seen a fist fight break out. Oh no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but what was cool with PAX is because everything's gaming centered, it really seemed to take that to like the next level. Like I think it's in part because so many indies are present. Like you're not just checking out these massive releases from giant models like corporations you're instead trying games in front of people whose passion projects are the game you're now trying like it's very like human interaction like you know what i mean like it's not just like here's big corporate entity x it's like oh this is my game i worked on it for two years i hope you like it ask me anything about it. give me feedback like it's just way cooler in that regard like yeah, they're just as gamery as you if not more so yeah. i don't know if you felt it, that it, it at, at gdc me, at all it always takes me by surprise like when i would demo a couple games and i would give any kind of compliment because i would genuinely like it mm-hmm. and they would just be like completely like humble and like oh my god like like that, that's really good to hear like like yeah. almost like they were like nervous it was gonna be bad yeah and like i feel like i got that a lot from like image and form like they were just very i don't know they felt like they acted very surprised that like i was like being positive about the game <laughs> like I don't, think and they make that, good games. That's yeah, what's so the, weird. Yeah. Engine Forms like one of the best. I mean, the, I mean, that's what caught me off guard. Just said like, like, well, I mean, you guys, like, I already have like, like you guys have, yeah, you're like basically vets at this point, yeah. And we, and but like, they were still acting like they were new devs. I don't know. Well, but, I mean, but, but it was very handling. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, there was like nothing bad. It was just like very. No, like, I get what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I think part of it is also like, well, Image Inform in particular, they take a lot of risk. Like, they've never, minus SteamWorld League 2, they don't make the same game twice. Sure, they're all called SteamWorld, but they're all very different. So I think for them, it is almost like a reset button. And every time they're like, oh, this works, they're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, our whole reputation's <laughs> well, that, that on the is, line. Yeah, that, that is true. But, that um, is true. but yeah, I don't know if you got that vibe at GC that just like, I guess you did from the Image Inform meme. But um, what's nice with PAX is like, it wasn't just interacting with developers that was cool it's like the convention organizers themselves really helped to facilitate it like one thing i thought was super cool that pax doesn't all the paxes apparently do it i just got experience it firsthand at east 
is they have free play areas and lots of conventions have free play areas you know you go you get to play smash with random people but what's cool about pax is they actually let you rent out tons of different games across pretty much every system imaginable and they even have handhelds you can rent out handhelds and then go play the handhelds in these really nice bean bags they set up upstairs above the show floor it's an area for my friend and i pretty much uh we pretty we we're just like this is now beanbag land because everywhere you go in packs they have world maps because you know it's gaming and there's the handheld area which is beanbag land and uh it's great because like one if you ever need to take a nap like my friend did uh you can just go pass that in beanbag land for a while but two they have just like shelves of game boys and ds's and all these systems you could think of with all these games you could like just have a pokemon battle with a stranger in like the you know ruby or sapphire like it was weird how it was so many options did you do that cool i did not but i did see people linked together with link cables and everything um and actually, like, a lot of PAX is really forward-thinking, um, not just with this, but, like, their official app is great. Their official app, Comic-Con needs to do this. E3 needs to do this. The official app gives you real-time line length updates for panels. There's actually a progress bar that will fill as the line fills. It updates every five minutes or something. Huh. So you can just see how, how crowded things look. I'm not sure. I think you scan in when you get in line, and it just tracks the, the how many people mm-hmm. have scanned in. Similarly, hotel shuttles. The app has a real-time Uber-style map that shows exactly how long till next shuttle and exactly how long it'll take you to get there. Like, I don't know why bigger conventions don't do these things. That's kind of weird, considering Comic-Con is, like, the biggest one there is. Yeah, and I mean, PAX East is organized by a company called ReadPop, which does New York Comic-Con and a bunch of other conventions. So it's kind of like, they're like the golden voice of conventions. So I imagine golden voice being the guys that put on Coachella and all those other uh, music festivals. So I imagine it'll trickle down to the independent conventions like E3 and Comic-Con, but... I was very impressed with Wait, that. Wait, Comic-Con and your Comic-Con aren't done by They're the same completely people? separate. Oh. I'm shocked there's Don't not... do they have the same logo? No. New York Comic-Con's like a red and or, a red and blue logo that's all like different font and stuff. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, it's actually kind of funny because like Comic-Con will go after companies that use the Comic-Con name. Like Salt Lake International Comic-Con or something. Yeah, Salt Lake had to change their name because they got sued. But somehow New York, maybe because it's been around long enough, was able to not get sued. Yeah. Oh, okay. I learned something today. Yeah. I didn't know but that. anyway... Um, Kind of similar to the whole free play stuff I was talking about. Another cool thing that PAX is they also hosted tournaments. I mean, I'm kind of surprised they don't just call. Considering WonderCon is almost more Comic Con than Comic Con, why they just call it like yeah. LA Comic Con? I don't know. Maybe because the brand recognition. It has... I mean, at this point, it's just yeah. brand recognition. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also because it's a little confusing with San Diego Comic Con, like right down the right <laughs> down the road by three hours. I mean, <laughs> but um, but no, I was gonna say another cool thing they do in, along the lines of the free play stuff at PAX is they hosted tournaments throughout the entire convention for every game you can think of. I don't just mean like Smash and stuff. Like, sure, that was there. They had a Jackbox a Jackbox Party Pack tournament, and they announced Jackbox Party Pack Six at the tournament. They had a WarioWare Mega Micro Games tournament. That's the GameCube one for those who don't remember. They had a Puyo Puyo Tetris tournament. Like, it's like any game you can imagine, new, old, whatever, there was a tournament cover. Like, it was cool that this convention, because it's for gamers by gamers, was able to cater to, like, all these little niches like that. It was... I thought, like, that... That's what I mean, kind of, like, by a connected... It felt very, like, communal and connected. Because, like, whatever your game, you have people to play it against. Whatever your game, you have a way to play it. Whatever game you're making, there's going to be a huge number of people that want to check it out at your booth, and you have any pizzazz to do it. Like, I just thought that was really cool. Hmm. Um, so does it sound like it's going to be like another year? I don't know. Well, it's it's. I don't know. If, here's the thing: when it comes to the games themselves, like there's a lot of cool ones, but we are fortunate in LA, you and I, to get to attend a lot of these sorts of events, and we get to play a lot of these games anyway. We have E3, we have Comic Con, we have the Indie Mix at E3. We get to go to every year and meet a lot of these developers. 
and I feel like there's going to be overlap. Like, I don't necessarily know if I need to fly six hours or even to Seattle for three to four hours because we're going to see a lot of it anyway. But if you're on the East Coast, I would absolutely 100% recommend it because it's kind of like the hotbed. And it, it's pretty decent size. Like, it's the attendance is 70,000. That's about the attendance of E3 these days. Hmm. And show floor-wide, it's a little smaller. But still, you got a ton of the, all the big publishers. Like I was saying, a ton of indies. It's it's really cool. Um, and in this and in this uh, pack specifically, there's also the finals of the Splatoon two and Smash Bros Ultimate North American Opens, which was kind of cool to see. Um, Nintendo hosted it themselves with the assistance of PAX. They actually used the arena space on the show floor to do it. And I will say, I was saying how good we have it in LA. I've been spoiled by us having the World Championship and the Smash Invitational and like all those different tournaments Nintendo does here around E3. Definitely spoiled me. Like, uh, I should I should backpedal. First of all, I should probably point out it's not like I flew across the country to PAX East for the tournament per se. Like, really. My friend just wanted to go to a PAX one day. He wanted to do it in a different city. The tourney was just kind of an icing on the cake for it. So we're like, okay, we'll do it, whatever. But once I was there, I was kind of working under the assumption it would be like what we have here in L.A. You know, they'd have a, a theater. They'd have a crazy, like, stage setup. It ended up being on the show floor. Um, it was a nice stage, but it did feel a bit anticlimactic. And then that feeling only grew right when, like, right at the start of the tournament, Nintendo announced, guess what? LA is getting a bigger tournament in a couple months because the North American Open Finals is actually not the end of the road. They're doing a world championship in LA on Saturday, uh, June 8th before E3 where everyone that wins in America and Australia and Europe and Japan will compete against one another somewhere here in downtown oh, so we're LA. the main course. That was we're the main course. That was the app- so I flew six hours for the appetizer. Yeah. And it wasn't for which the which appetizer. Which I didn't even know was the appetizer at the time. I, I, I know. I thought that was going to be the end I of thought it. that was the main course, but apparently not. And um, like, it's fine. I went to PAX for the whole experience, not just this, but it's kind of like, oh, it kind of took a little of the excitement out of it. Because like, if the big gun is now in LA in June, that means there's probably nothing super theatrical that's going to suddenly happen at this tournament. And sure enough, it's not like Reggie popped out for his last stand as president or anything. Like It was just... The tournament happened. It ended. I did see Bill Trennan for like a minute, but he didn't even like do anything public. He was just kind of there. Um, and you said hi to him? No, I didn't. I walked right past him. But I didn't say hi to him. Um, he was talking to someone. Oh. But my point is like I just kind of like, oh, okay. I will give Nintendo credit though. Doing the tournament in LA on June 8th, that is a Saturday. This is the first time Nintendo finally went, wait a minute. We can separate E3 from the pre-E3 event. We don't need to have people debating between do I go to the booth or do I go to the tournament. We can have them do both. So thank you, Nintendo. There's a couple times they did it on Sunday, I think, but then they immediately went and did it on Tuesday for most of them. Now they're back to doing it on the weekend, which is very, very nice of them. So thank you, Nintendo. You guys are great. Uh, but anyway, the tournament itself. Um, I, that I did enjoy. Did you watch any of the tournament, any of the live stream? Um, I did not. I, I, I actually kinda, forgot it was even that weekend. So I kind of figured you were going to say that because like, a lot of people sort of scoffed at the format, and I imagine the format is not necessarily of direct interest to you because it was different. It was teams of three divided by region. They were playing Squad Strike. They had items on. They were using normal forms of stages, so no limit to Omegas or anything. And, uh, yeah, I think that turned off a lot of people that are more into competitive Smash, and I imagine that's why you forgot completely. But, but for me, as a more casual player... I actually found it to be kind of almost more entertaining in a way. Like, there's just so much variety happening in any given, any given match. Well, and yeah, I guess... it's going to be more entertaining for sure for the for like the casual audience. Mm-hmm. Like, like, 
there's, there's like no question about that. And I get, I do get that the variety comes at the expense of actual skill being on display. Like there was, I think the prime example of this is there was a match involving John Numbers, um, who won. He's you a know. really good player, though. He won, yeah, the he won the Smash trainer. Invitational here, he uh, here in LA. He was the runner-up at the World Championship. But what he did is, um, someone dodged his Wii Fit Trainer's final smash, only to be touched by the very back tip of the bigger part of final. You know how like Wii Fit Trainer yeah, shoots yeah. all the little silhouettes and there's big silhouette. And I don't think John Numbers planned it that perfectly. Like maybe, but it really felt like it was just like a stroke of luck for the opponent, um, or not for the opponent for John Numbers towards his opponent. Uh, so much so that like even the commentators were confused at first about like how that happened in the first place. But like. You know, because you had to get the Smash Ball. You had to use it at just the right moment. So it's like a weird mix of skill and luck that's not, like, truly competitive. Yeah. If the other guy got the Smash Ball, like, it's not... You're not doing great to get the Smash Ball. You just got the Smash Ball and then did something great. Yeah. So it's a little different. But, like, that's kind of part of fun. Like, the crowd was super hyped about that moment. It's funny because, like, the tournament, we were on the show floor. But then there's also the cool thing about Boston Convention Center is they have these two sky bridges on either side. And you can actually go up and look down at the entire show floor. And one of the sky bridges was right next to the arena, quote-unquote, on the show floor. So people brought like folding chairs and like lined the entirety of that sky bridge and were watching the tournament from above and then we were all down below i was down below my friend was up above and both he said his crowd went crazy when that happened the crowd i was in like in the proper arena went crazy like it was a cool moment even though it wasn't necessarily like skill based mm. so like that's so like there's still cool moments to be had i mean some of the decisions about the format were a bit stranger to me like i was saying you know john numbers is super good you were saying that too and he had to he was dependent on other people to succeed or not because they did teams of three based on your region so like if they didn't do well he's getting dragged down because he just happened to be from the same region as some of his teammates who qualified separately so that that's kind of strange like it's a bit wacky but i i do like that nintendo's sort of only nintendo would do that (laughs) yeah but i do like that nintendo's sort of carving out their own slice of the esports pie because like in many ways what i thought as i was leaving the tournament and which means as I just took two steps back onto the show floor. Hi, I'm fine passing on. Well, yeah, that's that's what's interesting. Though, is like in many ways, oh, it yeah, kind of reminds me. But I feel like also like the, I mean, when you get the general public involved, the hardcore quote unquote like super competitive people end up being like the minority. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it, it, it's and it's, uh, it's some, they, there's it, some level of like gatekeeping going yeah. on where people are like, no, this is how you play Smash. And, like, and well, you can play multiple ways. Yeah, and and that's the nice thing about it. Like the more people you get excited about, the more casual the potentially the more people you end up converting to yeah yeah and like in many ways this whole thing kind of reminds me remember last episode we were talking about labo vr it was just announced and how like nintendo knows it won't compete with the big dogs already in the vr space so like they don't necessarily want to make vr like that to make like entry level vr they'll do it differently they've since announced that like you know labo vr has six or eight different modes like little mini games and then there's like 64 essentially WarioWare toys you know like those one-off things you just mess with and that's like that's great. That's not a real VR experience for a lot of people. But that's a great different type of VR experience. And I feel like this is exactly what they're doing with their tournament scene because like you don't necessarily as Nintendo need to make an Evo or a Genesis tournament because like those exist. It's fine. So instead, Nintendo's doing this whole weird like all-inclusive more welcoming take on esports, and I think it's why they did this really interesting thing in between the rounds where they had the family members of some of the competitors give like on-screen testimonies like interviews about like how they support their kid and like why esports like what the benefits are to their family and to the child's development yeah 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 and why they encourage their kid to do esports and i'm sitting there thinking like this is so perfectly targeted at like kids that may be watching with their parents 
and you know like the live stream of the open and maybe want to do esports themselves and Nintendo's like hey you don't have to be like a John Numbers or like a ninja or whatever or maybe I should stick it to just Smash Bros you don't have to be a hungry box and call Reggie and ass or whatever it was I think it was the other way around I think Reggie called him an ass point being you don't have to do that you can just like play esports how you want it's fine and I was like that's a really like cool message that they sent and kind of more at that point I think it's why the open used the format of you compete in these open online qualifiers like I mean, there's no doubt Nintendo put a fair amount of money into all of this. They had broadcasts for six to eight weeks going into this, highlighting all the different online competitions by region. And they put a good amount of money. They built a set for that. They had they flew people out. They had the stage. They literally took over the PAX Arena for all of Saturday. It was just Nintendo. They were one of the major sponsors of PAX. Like, it was a huge thing. And I really do think it's part of this bigger play to do kind of a Nintendo-style eSport because it can be complementary to regular existing tournaments. And like you said, that can then maybe lead more people into more competitive play. Or if not, here's a whole other type of esport that like currently doesn't exist. That's true. Yeah, it kind of just it like checks boxes that weren't there. And the they're other, literally, yeah, I mean, it's just Nintendo approaching esports that we approach everything else. Yeah, they're doing the they're yeah. Nintendo-fying esports. Yeah, and also for them, it helps promote Switch Online, which is a plus because uh, this was actually kind of I was kind of thought this was kind of interesting. In the back of Pax Arena, they had a dedicated area just for Switch Online. Um, they're running demos of Mario Kart 8 of all things but all the signage was about the service and if you combine like that push for Switch Online with things like you know that new deal on Twitch oh yeah the yeah, year exactly so if you're a Twitch Prime member you can get which means if you're an Amazon Prime which member means if you're, which means everyone listening everyone on earth essentially every student ever every student ever which you know it's like kind of perfect for them right exactly and what Nintendo's basically doing is like if you have an Amazon Prime account you get essentially a free full year of Switch Online um that the push at PAX, it seems like Nintendo's starting to push Switch Online a bit harder. And if you want to do like a whole easily accessible Nintendo esports scene, what better way to do it than be like, here's your one time entry fee, twenty dollars a year for Switch Online. Congratulations, you now have the whole world of esports, at least the Nintendo side of esports, at your fingertips. It's a really clever way to market Switch Online, is what I'm saying. So I, I suspect um I suspect that's a big reason they're doing it too. It's because not only does it help promote the competitive scene, even if it's the Nintendo competitive scene, which is different from the real competitive scene, but it also helps promote Switch Online. It's kind of like a symbiotic thing. Um, I think if there's maybe one thing they botched with the tournament... Uh-oh. Botched is a strong word. But I think if there's one thing they got wrong with the tournament, it was the lack of any meaningful Smash Bros. news. Because like Splatoon 2, that got some surprises at the end of the tournament. They announced the Spring Fest. Uh, they announced some new weapons and gear. And yet, Smash has version 3 coming out any day now. We're in April. It could happen any day, and we got nothing. Like, they could have easily showed something like the first Joker gameplay. That would be a cool way to reward those who tuned in, and it would promote Nintendo's whole new esports ambition even further, because they're kind of like, hey, if you're not watching these, you never know what you'll miss. Like, you should always tune in. You never know. So, it was kind of a, a missed opportunity. But overall, I thought... The tournament was pretty cool. I think Nintendo's approach to esports is really interesting. It complements well. It just means there's more Smash to be watched, more Splatoon to be watched. Um, and to be fair, like even with my comment about Nintendo not having any news for Smash, it's not like Nintendo's been short on news lately. I mean, it feels like we're riding this never-ending wave of announcements. At PAX alone, like I said, we got Jackbox Party Pack 6 announced. Um, SNK announced a new Samurai Showdown. They're bringing that back. It's coming to Switch. Yacht Club Games announced that they're publishing a new side-scroller called Cyber Shadow. Uh, Castle Crashers is coming to Switch in a remastered one. And then simultaneously during PAX, but not at PAX, 
Sega announced that's bringing back Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games for the 2020 Tokyo Games. Then the week prior to PAX at GDC, where you were, was the whole Spring Nindy Showcase, which included 18 different games. And there's no way we're going to have time to talk about all of them. But it, I thought it was a pretty well-done presentation with a lot of variety. I mean, what, what was your quick, like, hot take on the showcase, in Nindy Showcase? It seemed like one of the better ones. There's actually real variety. Um... Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, I definitely got out of it like, well, there's a lot of games that were cool to play. Yeah, and, and what's cool is um, for us, and I guess indirectly for you guys listening, because we're not going to tell you about it, is we had the opportunity to try many of those games from the showcase and beyond at GDC, at PAX East, which means we have some hands-on impressions to share. Because obviously when you're talking about game conventions, like we spent a good amount of time talking about game conventions without talking about games. So I feel like we should talk about games, because that's like the real meat of the conversation. Um, and right off the bat, I'm just going to jump in with one. And that's the bombshell from the very start of the showcase, which was Cuphead. Um, it's out on Switch this month, and I'd say it's significant in a number of ways. I mean, first of all, you got a critically acclaimed game, has super cool art style, feels right at home on Nintendo system. But what's perhaps bigger than that is we're talking about a Microsoft-funded game being brought to a Nintendo platform. Which some you know it's something that Nintendo even called out in the showcase by saying thanks to our friends at Microsoft, which is a weird thing to hear Nintendo say. Um, and it, if nothing else, it solidifies the rumor we discussed recently that Microsoft is throwing its support behind Switch, maybe as far as you know going as far as Xbox Game Pass, because a uh, separate non-Game Pass port of Cuphead was a component of that rumor, as was the uh, supposed Switch version of Ori and the Blind Forest, which has yet to be announced. Uh, and while we're not quite while we're not quite there yet, Microsoft also confirmed that's planning to add Xbox Live in a post-release update to Cuphead, and it's going to bring additional Xbox Live support um, to tiles on Switch throughout the year, whatever that's supposed to mean. So perhaps that's where Ori will surface. I'm not sure. But then there's also these other rumors at the same time of Halo Master Chief Collection coming to Switch outside of any Game Pass potential, which would be downright wild if true. Like that seems like an E3 megaton if I've ever heard one. Um, and until any chance that happens in June, all Microsoft's doing right now is saying that it doesn't have any plans to release a full proper Xbox Live SDK on Switch. That's something they're releasing on iOS and Android. They talked about at GDC, but um, if they were to do that on Switch, that means matchmaking, leaderboards, everything Xbox Live has would work with any Switch game. But then what's interesting is at the same time, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but what's interesting is like at the same time they said they weren't doing that in a GDC panel, on the screen of that GDC panel was a leader, a mock leaderboard from a fake game that listed the following names, Mr. iOS, Mr. Xbox, and Mr. Switch. So the game industry just really loves a good tease, I think is what it really boils down to. But my, my point is, I think this means all of this is uh, saying that Cuphead is really the star of things much, much bigger, which makes sense because like, apparently um, I learned this from Matt Piscatella of the MPD. He tweeted this. 35% of Switch owners also own Xboxes. So there's definitely like a Venn diagram of opportunity there for Microsoft. I guess the other ones own PS4s. Or nothing. Definitely or nothing. Or nothing. Yeah, some will own PS4. Some will only own Switch like me. 35% of all Switch owners. Um, but let's oh, actually talk we about... We also have two other friends in our group that own PS4 and Switches. I, it, it, really, it really does feel like it's a bigger combo. And maybe it is the bigger combo. I think Matt uh, Piscatella's point was just that a third of all Switch owners also have an Xbox, so there's a good synergy opportunity yeah. there. Because Sony will never do that. They don't even do crossplay. So, But let's actually talk about Cuphead. Because uh, Nintendo had the game up and running in TV mode at PAX East, and pretty smartly they were demoing it uh, 
in co-op mode, you know, Cuphead and Mugman. And I guess you played the tutorial, couldn't beat it, and became that new, the new version of, remember that whole, cons- the whole, um, the whole controversy a while ago with that, like, journalist that couldn't beat the tutorial, and he was- Oh, no, 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 no. Well, first of all, I wouldn't go as far as calling myself a journalist, but thank you. Uh, but no, no, it- I You know did, what I'm talking about, right? I do. I got to do co-op, so that's, that was very smart of them, show off the co-op on the Switch. Um- so I had a buddy, not a buddy, a stranger that became my buddy that was assisting. Um, first of all, before we even get to how I did, it runs really well, like exactly as it should. It's super smooth. It's 60 frames per second. It looks great. Like it, it, it is good. And I was able to try both one of the boss rush style stages and a more traditional platforming one. Zero hiccups, zero issues, no slowdown. It was running perfectly on Switch. Um, but that's the game I'm talking about. I, on the other hand was not running so great. Like, one thing that became immediately apparent to me is I'm really not good at it. Like, I know you warned me the game was hard when we were talking about yeah, the Game it's Pass. Like a, it's a 2D bullet hole. Yeah, because we were talking it's about the... Platformer bullet Exactly, because we were talking about the... Uh, a couple episodes ago about Game Pass, and you were saying exactly this. And yeah, it's it's hard. I think I prefer the platforming over the boss rush. Uh, but even then, like, your bullet hell comment, the whole thing felt like a side-scrolling, like, uh, uh, shmup, except I was occasionally having my feet on the ground. But yeah, that that's basically it, and um, and it was it was very fun. But yeah, I was not good at it. But what was interesting is in talking with the rep at the demo, I learned that the game is a hundred percent exactly the same as the Xbox and PC versions. It's actually going to be more than the def- than the original Xbox and PC version because they are including a bunch of stuff that's getting patched into those games on the same day it comes out on Switch. Things like uh, Mugman will be playable in single player. From the uh, beginning. From the beginning. Yeah. There will be new art and animation for previously static cutscenes. They're doing a bunch of localization to make it more international. Like, it's a lot of stuff. And it's cool because Switch is basically ending up with the definitive edition of a game on day one when it launches on April 18th, which is such a nice change of pace for a Nintendo-only gamer like me because I'm used to getting it, like, either it shows up late and it's missing stuff or, like, Oh, that's or it shows up on time, but it's also missing. It shows up late with everything, or it shows up on time but missing I mean, stuff. The, the, but this time, no, this time this it's still showing up late. With, it's showing up I mean, late with more stuff that they're then having to retroactively put in the other versions. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a flip. Is what, it took me a minute to. You can see the gears turning in my head while I was trying to figure out how to word that, but it's it's a little different. Um, and it's kind of a cool trend that extended to another game um, in Nintendo's PAX East booth that I got to try, which was Mortal Kombat 11, and I played. I don't know, four or five rounds of it, and uh, again, I was really surprised at just how good the whole thing looked and felt, like, especially in light of the fact that they showed literally nothing of the Switch version till now, and it's out in mere weeks, like, that's usually a bad sign, not so much this time, I mean, obviously it's a step down on the graphics side, it's not gonna look as good as the PS4 or Xbox One version, but it's by no means bad looking, like, animations are still fluid, both for characters and the stage backgrounds, the frame rate was surprisingly steady. The graphics were definitely like good enough to get by. Um, they also have like nice little touches like the game, if you go into the move list, it shows you exactly how many frames each move can make. This was the point a Nintendo rep pointed out to me, or the I think it was a Nintendo rep. Yeah, he must have been with Nintendo. And um, you know, so say the frame rate does dip, you can at least kind of figure out exactly, okay, I'm I'm chugging here, but is it is how many when's this move done? Like you can still kind of gauge it. Now granted it never dips, so it's never an issue. But uh, to be fair, I only played it in handheld mode. Nintendo only had it in handheld mode, which in a way is a very smart move on Nintendo's part because if you walk over Sony's booth, you could play it in gorgeous, you know, Super HD, whatever, on a giant screen. So for Nintendo to 
de-emphasized the graphical differences by only playing it in handheld was kind of smart but I think it also was cool because it showed even with the most limited switch power how smoothly it could run. Oh, yeah, a lot of people are very hyped for the switch version even it people was really that, good dude. even people really that are good. getting the I guess I was going to say the console version but yeah but the full version just because they really want to have it like portable mm-hmm. like a lot of people are double dipping and you know what's crazy according to that same rep I was playing an alpha build of the game and it was that smooth already like it was really good. I like I can't speak too much to the combat. Um, you know how it's changed compared to other the combat half of Mortal. Yeah, exactly. I can't speak too much to combat with a K because uh, I'm not the biggest Mortal Kombat player. I did pull off a fatality or two. I think that gives me permission to say that the controls were responsive at least. I don't know. You tell me if that gives me permission. But um, it 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 was fun. It was good, and it definitely like the one observation I can make is it has more weight to its fighters than say a Smash Bros does. But it felt good, and it used rumble well. Like, if you get hit, you feel the rumble. Um, yeah, it, it was very – I was just really surprised at how smoothly it ran. And that's why I wanted to bring it up on the show. It's just like with Cuphead and now Mortal Kombat, it's cool that we're not getting bare-bones ports. We're getting these full efforts because in the case of combat, it has the customization options. It has the full story mode. There's literally nothing missing. It is the full game just scaled down. And what both of these games are really demonstrating to me – is that for a lot of current-gen games, Switch is not and does not have to be like the black sheep where you send your half-ass efforts. Like, Mortal Kombat and Cuphead both show that you can bring true experiences to Switch. And that means so much more variety for a system because, like, you know, Cuphead, there's visually nothing like it on the system. Mortal Kombat, huge name, much different type of fire than what you normally get on Switch. And what's particularly promising is, like, these are kind of the poster childs of what seems to be this new trend with Switch games because leading up to PAX East... Uh, Bethesda announced that Wolfenstein Youngblood is now arriving on Switch day and date with its other console counterparts on uh, late July sometime. I want to say the 26th. But it'll also be feature complete, including a deluxe edition that comes with a very cool idea called Buddy Pass. If you buy the deluxe edition of Wolfenstein Youngblood, you get to gift a friend access to co-op. They don't have to buy the game, and you can still do co-op with them. It's very much like the old uh, you know, single cartridge multiplayer Nintendo used to do on DS, except like through the internet now and it's something i think it'd be really cool if more devs did but um yeah on top of wolfenstein like gearbox at pax also announced that switch is getting a port of bulletstorm the duke of switch edition specifically and while this you know this is an older game what gearbox is basically doing is taking the 2017 uh remaster bringing that to switch which means duke nukem a new game mode a new game plus yeah, mode new that, Duke Nukem mean that we're going to be disappointed because you feel like he's become the poster child for disappointment possibly after the but whole here's why i'm not dis- here's why i'm not disappointed it's like this game much like wolfstein I mean, much like the others like it it's bringing so much variety and full experiences to I w- switch i will say that bulletstorm really does feel more like what duke nukem should have been than what, what duke, duke nukem forever should have been yeah yeah i completely agree i mean in tone and stuff I oh mean, yeah 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 because i mean the duke nukem forever i guess what a lot of people it's funny because the humor was pretty much the same as it was back then. Yeah. But I guess they just thought like, hey, it's been like almost like over 10, 15 years. Obviously, taste hasn't changed, but I guess it has. And, oh, it yeah. totally has. Humor constantly evolves. Oh, no, go yeah. Watch hum- go watch something funny from like 2003. It does not hold up as well as you would think. Especially because like what is culturally acceptable and what sort of jokes are tasteful versus tasteless has shifted so much. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, like all that, you know, there's well, comedians constantly in hot water. Well, I mean, for, yeah, for that kind of humor. I mean, I feel yeah. like there's some stuff that... No, but even even stuff like the kind... Even, yeah, no, there's stuff that's ageless, but even stuff kind of like the, like, crass humor of Duke Nukem, like, 
Oh yeah, I mean, like any, that doesn't any it, kind it, of craft yeah, or quote unquote like humor that's usually pushing the limits always yeah. ends up never ending well. Yeah, but, but yeah, especially so because which, back then it was like, oh well, a game is doing this kind of like the whole like, oh you have an adult animation. Does that mean they're just cussing? But you're not really offering anything yeah, else besides exactly. the cursing. Because there was for sure a I part. Mean, adult Swim exists. It's kind of like there was yeah. a Adult Swim did a crazy cool boat party that I didn't get to go on at PAX. By the way, they took over a whole boat. They had Justin Roiling there like hanging out. And it was a booze cruise, and it just went all around for four hours, and it only cost $5 per person. And you didn't go? We missed the tickets by about an hour. It drove me crazy. But anyway, <laughs> no, um, but no, to your point, like, yeah, if you look at games from the 90s, like, oh, what's a mature, edgy game? It's like, Conker's Bad Fur Day. Talk about missing the boat. And Yeah, right? And, uh, yeah, and now it's kind of like, oh, well, games can just, like, be grown up. But I think in the case of Bulletstorm, the reason I thought it was cool is, like, we're getting these deep experiences that are comparable to what the other guys get. And that in and of itself, with kind of Cuphead and Mortal Kombat serving as the poster children at PAX, is pretty exciting. And it means so much more variety for Switch owners, which is cool. Because, like, Switch is the first system. I was making this point to um, someone I was talking to in line at PAX. I'm not used to a Nintendo system that has such a bountiful amount of indie games, or a bountiful amount of games in general. Like, I'm not used to having a Nintendo system where I'm like, there's too much to play. That's never been an issue with Bass and Tennis Systems in the way it's an issue with Switch. Like, Switch is portable Steam at this point, and it's, it's cool. But but speaking of variety, um, you played one of the more eclectic games from the Indie Showcase over at GDC, didn't you, Neocab? Yeah, the funny thing is that when I first played it, I mean, I kind of played because the lines for other games I wanted to try were kind of full, and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. like, I remember seeing the trailer. Well, yeah, I guess like some footage of this game before I went to the mix, and it looked interesting, and also I figured I'd try it. Right. And after I played it, I asked the dev, like, oh, so any chance of this coming to Switch? And he's like, uh, yeah, we can't really say anything right now because we don't know if it will or won't. And then, and then the, the next, next day, day. Yeah. That's really funny. But That's actually really weird that he didn't just tip you off. Like, your media. Like, he, he I guess he doesn't want you to report it because you're media. Yeah. So how is it? Because it's a um, really cool concept. For those who didn't see it in the showcase, the way do you want to explain yeah, what the, it actually is? Yeah, I, I like to explain it as um, a Telltale game meets um, Five Nights at Freddy's meets Archer meets uber <laughs> yeah meets uber yeah it's or like, lyft yeah if you just combine all of those into one that's that's pretty much this game okay cool next game all right no, we'll yeah. <laughs> so essentially you live like in this post-apocalyptic future which doesn't look very post-apocalyptic but it looks very it, like 80s neon. neon drenched yeah it looks like um that show moonbeam city but oh uh, yeah just without the the pale people i forgot what that art style was called or who the artist was but yeah the game is it's really fun essentially you're an uber uber slash lyft driver and you are going around trying to, you know, you're trying to make money. You're trying to find your missing friend. That's like the the goal of the game. But mm-hmm. you still have to, you know, survive and make a living. So you you drive around, you pick up people, and you have this map. So you have to decide who you want to pick up. And you have your, it's an electric car. So you have your electricity that you have to maintain. But sometimes because it's the future, you sometimes pick up people that have a suit that literally, it's pretty much like a, like a full body phone. Like a smartphone, it's pretty cool. And sometimes they'll ask you, like, "Hey, can I charge my suit?" And it's like, "All right, do I let them do it?" Everything's like a choice. Do the choices like Telltale? I assume every little choice affects the later outcome. Uh, it's more in the mo- yeah, it, it's both. Like it's very mm-hmm. on the moment. Like so, a simple choice like that. Yeah. Like, do you want to let them use some electricity? It's if you say yes, it's like cool. They're gonna give you a better review because your reviews matter. But you know, better reviews means you get better tips and that kind of stuff. But if you say, but also if you say yes, 
that also means you're wasting some of the electricity that powers the car, which means you won't be able to do as many rides, which means you won't get as much money. So you, right. so you kind of have to decide what is worth more at the moment. And then you also, and then at the same time, you have to keep your, and while trying to keep your rating up, you have to talk to your, your clients, try not keep the conversation going. But sometimes you have to be careful not to lower your mental state because that's also something you have to keep track of. Isn't there also like some whole like missing person plot line in well, there? Well, that's like in the beginning that you're looking for your missing friend. Right, right. So, I mean, like, aren't you also like trying to get answers to that? Well, oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, when relevant, yeah. but oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. yeah. I just found it really interesting that you can't let your your character get like too anxious or too angry or too anxiety because you have a pretty much a, I guess, like a mood tree system, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And uh, like, instead of a skill tree, it's a mood tree, sort of, yeah. Except like, you oh, don't gain skills, you just have to make you don't sure gain you gain mood, you don't suddenly discover a new emotion, you just have to keep yourself like mentally stable. Oh, okay, yeah, and that's why it's kind of like finance and phrase, like, depending on like how you are throughout the game you have to you pretty much have to keep track of a bunch of different meters at the same time oh interesting so you're keeping track of making how much money you make how right. much electricity you have versus how much I guess how safe you are and whether you want to risk getting a ticket sometimes they'll ask you like, hey can you pick me up in this corner but you know you might get a ticket there so it's like you take the risk and because you obviously can't pick up everyone in one night and because there's going to be multiple people that also means that you can't experience the whole story in one run so there's like a bunch of different you know paths you can take right right and I don't know. And it's like art- a narrative-heavy resource manager almost, except the it, resource is you it, driving It really does Uber. feel like <laughs> like a Telltale game, but without yeah. the the awkward explorey sections where you have right. to walk around with those The controls. part where they're like, we need to make this more gamey. Yeah. If anything, that's why I always feel like the Telltale games work better on tablets or touchscreens because you just tap what you want and they'll just walk there. Right. It's a lot more awkward to have to use the controller to get them to walk there. Mm. And I don't know, the art style... It kind of feels like the studio that does Arth- Archer made it because they move pretty much exactly the same. I do like the look of it. Kind of stiff, the but I mean, it's I mean nothing bad. It's just the way Archer looks. So yeah. if you like the way that looks, then it's like you're playing like a spinoff of an Archer series, I guess. Right, right. But I don't know. It's well written. Very interesting. It's a very cool concept. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely like nothing else I've really played. So. Yeah, and it's out pretty soon too. I think it's like I think they said summer in the showcase. I don't remember actually. Yeah. But. But while we're while we're keeping the the showcase like train of thought here, the indie showcase, um, I guess now would be a good time to discuss my experience with a different game from the showcase. Unless you have anything else about NeoCab, um, no, besides keep an eye on it. I mean, especially with Telltale Gone, you're not really going to get that many oh, narrative driven games for a while. Yeah, yeah. And this one seems like a pretty promising one, so. Right, I I really do like the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I got to try again. That also, I like the concept of which is Creature in the Well. Uh, which for those who may not remember it in the showcase by name. This is the game that mixes like dungeon crawling or like hack and slash with pinball, which is actually a pretty fun combo. It works really well. Um, the basic mechanic is that your sword is like a pinball flipper. So when you hit energy orbs placed in each level towards where you need to go, you're doing it with what amounts to like a giant lever. Like that's your that's your sword, and you're doing this to a series of rooms that kind of resemble like I don't know old like 2D Zelda or perhaps a little Metroid, since the way you clear rooms is by gathering enough energy to then open a door. But uh, the energy specifically comes from the orbs you're hitting which will turn into energy like voltage that you can actually collect or rack up when you whack them into pinball like bumpers of various shapes and sizes in each room oh yeah, yeah you know yeah, what i'm right. talking about now uh, yeah, yeah it finally it clicked 
I didn't remember from the name. Yeah. But when you said pinball, they're like, oh, it's like the game inspired by pinball. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that very arty looking. And game. yeah, and you use you use voltage not just to open doors, but also um, according to the developer, there's gonna be up to twenty different weapons you can unlock, and you open bigger doors to open different parts of a full map for the game. It's it's I think, I think they're saying it had eight dungeons, something like that. But it's um, it's kind of like a Metroidvania e situation, but with pinball and electricity. But anyway, the the orb thwacking which is like the me of the game can get pretty intense pretty fast because you'll need to deal with not just hitting the orbs into bumpers but do it while dodging lasers or fighting the creature in the well himself which is this giant monster kind of plays out like a boss battle in the demo and you know that doesn't inc- include the fact that you've also got all these orbs flying around because like with pinball they ricochet they bounce back towards you if you don't catch them they damage you so there's like a lot of stuff going on and uh, one cool mechanic is that you can catch and reuse them. So the whole pinball system relies on just these two buttons. Like first you hold one button to charge up your orbs uh, so you can then launch them at full strength to get maximum voltage from anything you hit. Uh, but this button also is the one you use to catch orbs coming back at you. So you're holding it and you're charging and catching them as they come towards you. Then you use the control stick to kind of uh, tilt an arrow or like path line to where you want to shoot the orbs. Then you press a different button to release them. So it's like this whole like two-button system you have to do. And it actually feels... Like when I was playing, I was like, oh, this is a lot like the controls of Pool Panic, just way faster pace. And it can get pretty chaotic when you have a bunch of orbs flying around and lasers you're dodging and all sorts of stuff. And it, 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 it's pretty fun as a result. Um, it's not always that chaotic. Like I'm making it sound very much like Pinball First, Hack and Slash, Dungeon Crawler Second. I'd actually say it's probably more the other way around. Like you're going room to room, you're solving puzzles and whatnot. You're just doing all of this with the mechanic mechanic of balls you hit around instead of like using typical weaponry, and um, yeah, it's just it, it's actually really fun. It's it's a cool way to do a riff on a traditional game of this sort, and it also just looks super cool. Like you kind of get a sense of it in the Nindy Showcase, like you touch not looking pretty artsy, but I didn't realize this until I was actually sitting there playing it for fifteen minutes. But the art style is so cool. It's basically this old like seventy sci fi poster look. Where, you know, like you know, like those old posters for sci-fi movies, like pre-Star Wars, where everything's like super blotchy, kind of like it's like it looks like it's like painted on. You can like see holes in the color and stuff, like where the ink didn't go or where the ink didn't dry. It's kind of like that, except it's a living, breathing world. So it's really cool. It's um, I definitely say this is one we're keeping on your radar. It's a pretty unique take on dungeon crawlers. It's a fun take on dungeon crawlers, and it has like a good mix of like instead of combat, they just have this pinball thing, and it works really well. Um, but what was kind of funny is. It wasn't the only riff on pinball I played at Paxis. Like at a convention where there are only so many games, how is it that Switch has two different takes on pinball happening like an aisle apart from each other? But sure enough, there's another one. I tried a separate game coming to Switch called Zombie Rollers. And if Creature in the Well is like Dungeon Crawler first, pinball second, I'd say that Zombie Rollers is like pinball first, tower defense game. Yes, tower defense game second. Um, so this one's actually set on actual pinball tables. And you have to fight off hordes of zombies who are making their way towards your flippers, which sort of serve as your base. And uh, your defense against them is a series of pinballs. But unlike real pinball, you don't lose if you lose your ball. Instead, you only lose if the zombies successfully chip away at your health by storming your base. And you can't flip away the zombies with your flippers, but you know if you're bad enough at the game, the horde is so big that, well, they're going to overpower your flipper, and that's that. But uh, what's kind of neat about it is that the table is kind of like all sorts of different shapes and sizes, and you can choose between a bunch of different characters. They each have their own special abilities you can level up and unlock. Um, they can power these abilities. You just press different face buttons on the Joy-Con. Um, 
and then you you just kind of go through and the zombies much like you as a player also have different abilities a uh, different variety of powers some are fast some are slow some of you know some can shoot this some can shoot that and it's just kind of like finding the right character to level up to use against zombies in different scenarios um i played a few different tables with a couple characters i think what's interesting is like ultimately while it's primarily pinball well, you know, like, Creature in the Well is primarily not pinball, just with a pinball mechanic. This is ultimately primarily pinball, just with enough extra stuff to make it feel like a little more than pinball. Like, I think it's kind of the best comparison I was able to come up with is kind of like uh, Odama. If you remember that GameCube game where you had to fight a horde with your giant pinball and also your voice, because it was a weird game. But uh, I actually made the point that kind of reminds me of Odama with the idea of, like, resource management while kind of also doing pinball, too. Um, I made that point to the developer, and asked if they was inspired by Odama at all and what was kind of funny is he said he never heard of Odama until that day and now I'm the second person to mention it to him huh. which I, I get it it's an obscure GameCube game but what are the odds that like the dude who's making the pinball game is kind of like Odama does know of Odama but um, I think what I'm saying is like if you're one of the few people who bought and liked Odama back in the, the like twilight years of GameCube you're probably going to keep an eye on zombie rollers um, it's actually already out on mobile but playing it with actual buttons is always better than pinball control for like a pinball game because you have the bumpers you have your bumpers on the joy cons as your bumpers true that so yeah it's out layers here um i'd say of the two creature in the wells the more unique uh zombie rollers is definitely an interesting fun take on zombie uh, on zombies on pinball as well though um so that, now that i kind of veered us off the nindy showcase packs so i just went on this zombie rollers tangent um let's just keep going down that road it's too late we can't put the genie back in the ball like a lot of the games that we both got to play were ones not so much from this Nindy showcase but from past ones and are only now getting closer to release um i think the biggie is probably what you got to play which is from our friends at image inform steam world quest this yeah. was announced i want to say in the european Nindy highlight video like a couple months ago um, was um, it even in a highlight reel? It, it was in the european only one yeah because yeah i got like a funny comment from one of them because i asked them like oh so um like why didn't your game like pop up at the at the, the Nindy showcase yeah, and apparently they they asked Nintendo like, can we get the game in the showcase? And they said that it wouldn't give the right kind of message. That's like what they got from them. What? What's that even mean? I don't know. They didn't really know what that meant either. That's really weird, especially because it was literally the like anchor of the Nindy highlight for Europe. It was the big reveal. Yeah, so that's really weird. I mean, I guess. I mean, what they kind of took from it, maybe, or what, what I was kind of thinking too, like I guess they want games that have more. Are I mean, well, that was like a, that's like more of a brand new game than any of the you other know, games because they're all ports. You know, I, mean, I honestly I guess... think it is. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about how Nintendo, this showcase in particular, felt very like like it had a lot more variety than most. Like we used to always talk about, oh, all the games are like two D artsy platformers, and yeah, it's like oh, all the games are RPGs. Steamroll Quest does seem like it has a lot of unique stuff, but at surface level, it's a two D RPG. So I wonder if Nintendo's like, we don't want to show those. We have plenty of those, but the problem is. It's such a big name. Like, SteamWorld's a huge thing on Nintendo platforms. It's really weird. Really weird. Yeah. You guys spend a lot of time with it, though, right? Because yeah. you actually got to, like, meet with the developers on yeah, kind of a whole session. Yeah, I got to meet with them at a... Like, they had a suite set up. Like, pretty much it was, like, they turned their suite into a booth. Mm-hmm. So they had these giant banners. They looked really nice. They had a table full of swag. So I pretty much just took one of everything. And Where is it now? What is this swag? I want to oh, see. Oh, it's gone. I, I, I got what I needed, and Obis got what he needed. Wait. Boy, I mean, it's gone. If you have it, you have it. Oh no, it's it's gone. It was donated. To what? Okay, whatever. Yeah. You're getting really cryptic. <laughs> um, you could grab me a SteamWorld anything. I'm the one that turned you on to the franchise with the original. I'm not meaning to complain. I Please really continue. Know. I didn't even 
I talked about SteamWorld Dig 1 on the podcast right when it came out. Yeah, but I didn't even play SteamWorld 1 until it was on the Wii U. Well, whose fault is that? I told you about it on the 3DS. No, it's fine. Yeah, anyway. so clearly you had nothing to do with it. Or you just were like, no, I, was I had this weird memory in the back of my mind that Jason once said I should try this game. Here it is on the Wii U. No, no, I, I, I got into it because of Elvis. <laughs> oh, okay. Because he's the one that beat the first one. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I got to play SteamWorld Day while talking to them. You mean SteamWorld Quest. SteamWorld Quest with them. <laughs> I just got you totally on I the I know, wrong. yeah, because we were talking about that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I got to play SteamWorld Quest while talking to them, and it was it was interesting. Just, like, as I was playing the game, like, they were just asking me some questions, what I think about it so far, and obviously, like, it was great. I mean, the writing in SteamWorld games has always been really funny and catchy, and all the characters are mm-hmm. really likable. And I got to play through, I want to say, two whole chapters. It felt like a good long while. I pretty much played the game for almost two hours straight. And, that was a, but, and, that was a healthy it, demo, right? Because it was a, it was very private. Like I was like the only person like demoing it at the time, right, right. And I also got to talk to like their like their head of like marketing and like mm-hmm. pretty much like the guy that would make sure that the game like, gets known and everything. And he had like some pretty interesting stories about how he started working at Nintendo. He like, he was working. He uh, works. He worked at Nintendo. Yeah, he worked at Nintendo. He was the reason like SteamWorld Dig originally got like the push that it needed to become really like, a DS game, a 3DS game. Interesting. And I want yeah. What was his name? His name was Ed Valiente. Interesting. Yeah. So thanks to him, like yeah, SteamWorld. I mean, yes, yeah, the first SteamWorld like got the push to the eShop, and you know, like kind of the rest is history. And at one point, you know. In image and form and Zoink Games and I guess a few other companies that all combined to become Thunderful. Right. And that was around the time that he decided that he was kind of ready to leave Nintendo. Nintendo of Europe specifically. And, well, that uh, makes that makes a little more sense. Yeah. And um, yeah, when he left, that was around the time that Thunderful formed and then he joined Thunderful. So it kind of uh-huh. came full circle. Interesting. But yeah, so SteamWorld Quest, it, it's really fun. It kind of reminds me like it's a better version of what Sticker Star and Color Special were trying to do. Mm. Because it's a card combat kind of game. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about this one, like unlike Sticker Star and Color Special, like all your cards like recharge. It's not like you have to grab new boots or new fire flowers every time. Which I feel like that was like one of the things that hurt it most because you never want to use your powerful cards until you get to bosses. And even then you're like, oh but Yeah. Like I, I could probably kill it without the, without this, I might just save for like you. Pretty much always stock up on all these strong cards, mm-hmm. and then by the end, you almost never even use them because you're just afraid of wasting them because a lot of them were like one time use, or you have to go through a whole song and dance just to get them back. Right. It was kind of a pain to get those thing cards back because or things just became a grind, really. Yeah, because you have to go through the whole. Yeah, it, it was annoying. But these are every character. I mean, you start the game with like two characters. Each one has ten sets of cards for each, for them. And you collect more cards as you go, and you get to swap out cards for others, so you could like custom build that deck for them. And all those cards are shuffled, and you draw five cards. Oh no, you draw six cards, and then you have to pick three mm-hmm. for your turn. And you could pick three for one character, and just have the other character not attack at all, or you could pick two for one and one for the other. But if you pick three of a kind or three of one color, because each character has different colors, um. Like, the main character is red, the secondary character, the mage, is blue, and then you eventually get another character who's green. So your deck will grow. Like, it goes from a 20-card deck to a 30-card deck, Mm -hmm. and then you have three different cards to manage. And depending on, like, the situation, you might want to hopefully combine cards that are all red because you want to go more offensive. But 
sometimes you want to get all the green cards because that will give you more of a defense boost and the blue one will give you more of a health boost. So each character is kind of mapped to a role, so to speak, in terms yeah, of yeah, I mean, card I mean, type. Yeah, I, I mean, you have your your all-arounder, you have your right, your right. mage that's like distance, like spreading attacks. Mm-hmm. And I guess like where like Steam like kind of makes it even more unique because I mean the cards recharge, so that was kind of nice. I don't have to worry about like just wasting everything. Right. And twice per turn, you get to shuffle like mulligan cards. So if you feel like, oh man, I need one more to have a three pair, three like three reds so I could have like a combo because then it adds a fourth attack that's specially made mm-hmm. for them mm-hmm. then you could shuffle out two blue ones that you feel you don't need to hopefully get another red and every card by default gives you one steam power and you have like a little meter on top that's just a bunch of little gears that each represent like one two three four five or six steam power sure because there are some cards that require two or three steam powers to use and your sp you know your special meter but the nice thing is that the order really matters because if you have, say, one steam power but you want to use a card that costs three steam power, at first you might think, like, oh, I guess I can't use it this turn. But you can just pick two cards that don't require steam power to build up your steam power to three and then pick that card last. So the first two attacks build up the steam meter and then you get to do your third. There's actually more strategy involved. Yeah, so order yeah. makes a huge difference, basically. So you have to be careful how you pick your cards. And the enemies have their own steam meter, so you have to watch out for that. Maybe, like, as they're building it up, you want to st- maybe stock up on some healing cards or some way to build up your defense or counteract that. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. I mean, it's just really it's really cool. Like, I mean, nice art, nice writing, like I said. The game looks very pretty. Um, <laughs> I, li- and, I like the art style a lot. And everything is, I mean, you have your typical tutorial level, but because it's a card game, I mean, it definitely needed one. And the game is simple enough that I feel like most if not any everyone will just not get confused with it like it's right. not over it's, i mean you're not so playing, it has like the approachability of the other steam worlds yeah i mean you're not playing like magic the gathering here or sure or yeah. even hearthstone which is like a simpler version of magic the gathering but right yeah it, it's very simple i mean you have like all right here is my sword attack here's my sword card here hit him with the sword and right. the fireball hit him with the fireball but obviously like it gets more complex and you can start to see that as i mean I only got to play the first chapters but as the game gets like, keeps going, you see how it gets a lot more complex with enemies that have, you know, you get your typical, like, poison attacks and how they buff themselves up. Or you have minions that if you don't kill them, they're going to keep buffing and healing the other minions. So it's a, you pretty much have to pick how you want to fight your battles. You, yeah, it's right, right. That sounds cool. And, and I assume there's going to be deeper tie-ins to the Steam World, world in well, the story and I mean, whatnot. there's references, but... Is it, is it sort of independent, or does it hook in in some... Well, it's independent. I mean, they they kind of see them all like like Legend of Zelda or, like, Tales. Like, they're okay. all just yeah. games in the SteamWorld franchise, but they could do whatever they, they want. They could do whatever they want. They're not, they're not holding themselves to, like, oh, this has to lead into this or that. Right. I mean, people could come up with their own fan theory. I mean, this is kind of set, like, in the medieval-ish time-looking place. And there are monsters. Like, I mean, not everything is mechanical. There are, like, fungus monsters. One of the villains is, Oh, that's like, interesting. That's different than the other ones, right? I don't remember the other ones having organic components. They did. Did um, they? And the underground in SteamWorld 1, a lot of the monsters were organic. On- oh, yeah. Only the... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> think, think, think of it as, like, humanity was wiped out and robots right. remained. Right. So there are still monsters yeah, okay. about. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, one of the villains is, like, a tiny little bird inside a giant mechanical suit. Hmm. So. And it's out really soon. It's yeah. out, like, this month. Like, well, yeah, when I was talking to them, they had nothing to say about the release date. 
And then, uh, much like with the uh, Neocab, then like the next day they announced it, right? Because yeah. they've now announced this out, I think, April 25th, and it costs $25 for yeah. those who may be interested. It sounds fun. Yeah, which, which feels pretty fair. I mean, like those kind of games are pretty lengthy, and I mean, they have a lot of replay value. Like, you definitely... I mean, I haven't been disappointed by one yet. Right. And this one doesn't seem any different, but because it's an RPG, it's probably going to take a lot longer to beat. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it will justify the $25 price point. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Didn't you play something else, too? Oh, yeah. The funny thing is that when, after the two hours, I was pretty much like, oh, man, I used up, like, all the time. I guess I'll just get going. And they're like, oh, you don't want to play Ant Hill? Because you, you said you were interested in it, too. And I'm like, oh, can I? And like, oh, sure. So I just play that too so how's anthill Luckily, anthill's like one of their older games isn't it isn't it? it's like a port or something right yeah it's it's an ios game and you could tell it's an ios game <laughs> well just because like it's, it's all touch based like there is no tv component or anything oh interesting they're making it handheld only yeah it's handheld only okay and i do kind of feel like it'd be better to play it on an like an ipad or like something big like something bigger uh-huh. but it still were perfectly fine i didn't really have any like input issues especially using my finger but it's interesting. It's like a very different take on tower defense because it is a tower it's defense. It's a tower defense. Okay. Because yeah. right. your anthill is your base and you're protecting it from oncoming insects that want to kill the ants. And, and I assume it's all 2D, like flat. Like they're coming. Well, it's top down. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, or it's top, top down. down. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's a top down perspective. Yeah. And so the way it works is you need a, you have your resource management. So kind of like other tower defense games, usually when you kill something, you get money like instantly it just comes to you and then you just get to upgrade your stuff and right that kind of stuff so on this one you have to send out soldiers to kill like opposing bugs and then once those are dead because the soldiers will only kill other insects and you do that by just drawing a line to where they want to go like the ant path and the ants will follow that path just like an ant right. and as soon as they encounter something they'll kill it and then they'll go back to the ant hill but they'll just keep going in an infinite loop until you get rid of that path and draw another path. And you could draw your path however you want. You can make it zigzaggy so they stay out there longer. Mm-hmm. You can make it a circle so they're just patrolling your anthill. Mm-hmm. You can make it wider. I mean, pretty much how whatever you want. But you only have so many ants you can do at once. So you have your soldier ants that are your, you know, your workforce. I mean, they're your army. But then you have your worker ants that are the ones that give you your your income, so to speak. And to and those you have you can only use them to get I guess answer other I mean other bugs that were already killed by the soldiers so you have to go and grab the dead bodies using the worker ants to bring them back to the anthill so that you can have more food so that you can then produce more ants and the cycle kind of continues until you eventually have like hopefully like a nice little big I guess a nice tiny army right of ants that you can then I know it looks pretty crazy like at the end of one of the levels I have so many ants that it looked like an actual like swarm of ants which was pretty nuts mm-hmm. but then it also gets really challenging really fast. Like, research management is just really tough. I mean, I was kind of blowing through some of the levels pretty easily while getting, like, three stars on everything. But it was fun. But then I got to the boss, and that just threw me for a loop. Like, I got completely wrecked. Because there was this one giant bug that was coming at you very slowly, but there were also these other bugs that I was getting attacked by. Presumably, you're supposed to use those bugs to get more food, but... I started with very few worker ants and a few of them. I mean, a very few army ants, and those died, and I couldn't get any more food, so I was pretty much out of luck and resources and couldn't really do anything. Oh, I see. So it's definitely a trial and error game, but I don't know. It was very interesting. I, I'm undecided if I'm. I definitely want to play it more. 
But, they just don't know what platform. But I've decided if I want to play it on an iPad because I have one. Right. I mean, not everyone does. I mean, so I would just recommend it on. The, I definitely would recommend it on the Switch, but I'm kind of set, I'm torn which one I would. You have the get bigger screen as an option. So yeah, it kind of seems it. like a no-brainer to get it on the iPad since right. I have it. But yeah. Did they say when, say when it's even coming to Switch? Because last I heard, last they, well, it, they were I just asked, like, we're doing it, and that's about as far as they got. Yeah, I mean, it was running perfectly on it, but yeah, yeah what still in they, development. Yeah, they they weren't sure yet. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds really cool to get to hang out with them like that. Yeah, it was very nice. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely a couple games keep on the radar. I think for me, um, one of the best, kind of like how Steam World Quest was like an older reveal, but still not out. Any Anto as well, um, like indie game. Um, I think for me, one of the best ones of those that I got to play was Sinar Wild Hearts, which uh, I go as far to say it may be one of my favorite demos from PAX East as a whole, because it was just like, I was just surprised by how delightful it is. Like, I, I know it's a weird way to describe a game as delightful, but it had such a shroud of mystery around it when it was first debuted at the Game Awards in December. It's, all we knew is it was pink and it was stylish, and I couldn't really get a sense of what was going on. So to have the gameplay kind of match the vibe that the trailer portrayed so well in December at the Game Awards was just a very pleasant surprise. And um, what it actually is, is it's this kind of mix of a rhythm game and something like the high-speed running parts of a modern like 3D Sonic game. So I wouldn't go f- quite as far as to call it an endless runner since it does have defined like starts and ends to its levels, but it definitely has like a runner-esque gameplay setup, at least at the start. So when you first start the demo... Uh, you're basically playing Rock Band, or if anything, uh, Audio Surf, if you remember that game. Do you remember Audio Surf? The one where like, you're a ship, you have three lanes, you have to keep moving between the lanes to hit the orbs, it's set to your own music. It's kind of like that. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you're collecting things in time with the music going between lanes. That's uh, basically the first part of demo, except you're a person and not a ship. But then it pretty quickly starts to build on top of that. So you start to have all these camera sweeps and like dynamic cam- dynamic camera angles that feel a lot like a Sonic game. And then on top of that, they add quick time events that are almost like segments from Rhythm Thief in 3DS, where you know you're using these quick time events to actually fight what I assume are enemies. There are these other bike riders in the game, but it's like they keep layering it on. And by the last uh, level of the demo, you've got this really cool combo of all these different styles where you're like riding a motorcycle then you're dodging enemy riders attacks from all sorts of different camera perspectives then you're suddenly jumping into quick time events then it briefly turns into like a Star Fox style flying to the screen sort of moment set to the rhythm then suddenly you're flying sideways like you're playing R-Type then you're fl- then you're like back on your bike then you're doing a whole different type of quick time event uh this time instead of attacking you're like dodging attacks with button presses it just keeps like going and going and constantly adding new elements and it's all super seamless like it just flows and it's really cool like if yeah, anything that's it, the part that kind of with the from the chair is like oh it's randomly generated it's not or? though i think it's structured like if anything it feels like you're experiencing some sort of curated like interactive well, synth pop well, album well, well, is the, it randomly generated yeah the trailer said it was randomly generated wait what no way that yeah, was too because they were saying that like the past and the encounter they're all random but it looked like it, well, well, they fooled th- th- me. That's why it looked They good. fooled me. Like, like, it didn't look like something that would be Renry Jones. No, it so, was so, so cool. So that was really impressive Like, it hear. really feels like... It, like, like it really feels, like, curated. Like, it, it, it really even, fiddles, like? What? Feels... Oh, uh, it fiddles... No, there's no fiddles. It's all synth pop. But, um... And the thing is, like, even if you mess up and die, the game just kind of, like, rewinds a couple seconds earlier and has you do it again, except there's a cool little touch trick. The music source has to kind of, like, reform for the first few seconds as you get back in the groove, literally and figuratively. Uh, but yeah, it's just like 
it feels like an interactive music experience. It's probably why they're calling it a pop album video game. Like the music, the visuals, the gameplay, even in just my 15 minute demo, it meshed really, really well. Like to the point that I didn't realize it was Ramley Jared. I still don't quite believe you that it's Ramley Jared, but it was just, it's such a cool vibe and it's very unique and unlike anything else it packs is really, really cool. There is a little bit of actual gameplay behind it too. Like you are ranked on your performance per level i guess and you can go back and try and do better so it has that kind of like high score score attack mentality to it but if it's randomly generated that just makes it even better because you're basically getting endless runs that you can do um basically if you couldn't tell like i'm completely sold on this game like i went from having like zero opinion of it at the game awards when they it was the first unveiled tonight i'm like what is this i was coming to switch okay that's kind of cool to like saying this is one you really need to keep an eye on when it comes out later this year or it, it's really cool I'll take your word for it, but don't disappoint me. I, I mean, it, I can only offer my own humble opinion, but no, I really, really liked it. it I think it's my PAX game of show, probably. Um, and it's just it's funny to have it go from like one I didn't really have any opinion on to one that I instantly was like, yeah, I need this. You, however, actually got to play a game that I think I was sold on the second it, the concept was shown in an old indie showcase. I have to wait to try it to know. And that was Untitled Goose Game. You, you did play that, right? Like I remember you mentioning oh, yeah. it, and I was like, ooh, how was not for very long, but how I mean, was that? I mean, it was like I just been in the tiny area where the farmer is, uh-huh. and you're just. It, I, I hate to use this comparison because I just love throwing this name out in every pocket, but it kind of, it's kind of like Resident Evil. It's another. Oh God! Remember, there's a year and a half of podcasts where just everything was like God of War to you. Like any, I could be like, "Hey, did you play Yoshi's Crafted World?" You're like, "Yeah, but you know it was way bloodier." God of War. Let me talk about that a bit. It's like, what are you? <laughs> you basically anyway. said this last podcast. Huh? You basically said that same thing on the last podcast. I because you say it so much, I have right. to regurgitate myself too. I mean, it's, it's basically, <laughs> you're right. I did. I mean, it's basically an, another escape room. It's just a puzzle game mm-hmm. disguised with like a, a quirky goose that just likes being mean to people. So you have like your checklist of things that you have to do because I guess the goose either wrote the it. The goose or is on the loose. Either the, the either, goose is either, loose. Either the goose wrote it down or like. I guess he just saw this list on the floor of some bully that it just wants to mess with the farmer. <laughs> but essentially, like, you have stuff Smart like... Goose. But you have stuff like, I don't know, like, like, move the radio, like, take the farmer's keys, like, stuff like that. And you just have to figure out how to do it because obviously you can't just walk up to the farmer and take them. Yeah. You have to find ways to distract them, whether it's by, like, grabbing the roses or turning the sprinklers on, like, different things, like or, like, moving the cooler. Like, it's... It's fun just, like, interacting with the environment and just seeing, like, what you can and can't grab. Mm-hmm. And also just the animations were just, like, pretty charming. Like, it's very simple. Like, some... It's simple, but it works. Like, almost like the roughness works towards its appeal. Which, it has a bit of a which, Samurai Jack which kind look of, to it. Which kind of goes with the name. I mean, it's, like, Untitled Goose Game, so everything about it kind of feels unfinished. I mean, but... to be fair... It literally is. It was supposed to be out in the spring. They delayed it to an undef- uh, unspecified date later in the year. Yeah. Which also, yeah, they can't even date it. Untitled Goose Game, unspecified date, unfinished. <laughs> like it's very, yeah, like everything very about- thematically consistent. Yeah, but I mean, it's. Co- I mean, it looks. It's just a fun little sandbox puzzle game, like something that would, you know, kill a small afternoon. There isn't really too much to say beyond that. Like I mean, right. it's just quirky. There's. And it's just fun Wait, right into the issue I have I mean, with a couple I mean, of it, I mean, you kind of have like a lot of those like little like aha moments like, oh, that's what this is for. Right. And, but I mean, yeah. the, the way you're trying it, it's sort of you're running to the same wall I've hit with some of my impressions where it's just like there's, you know, this is a cool experience. Sayonara is really cool. I can only talk about it so long because it's pretty simple in concept. Yeah, like there's yeah. not much you could say play Resident Evil 2 Remake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wish we were sponsored by Capcom because we could be getting that Capcom money right now. But unfortunately, we're not. You're just a big fan. Why can't you be sponsored? Why can't you? Be, why can't there be a disclaimer every time you say Resident Evil Two, saying we get a kickback, and then we use that kickback so you can buy more Resident Evils? Just saying, know. it could be a thing. But that, that's not the only game you played involving Bur- beat birds. I feel like it's, my transitions are getting worse with every indie. Listen, when you have over a baker's dozen of indie games to talk about, it gets hard to do transitions, people. I'm trying my best. Yeah. So <laughs> what's the other one you played? Yeah. So at the mix, there was one game that I made it a mission like if I'm gonna play one game it has to be at least this one which was Blazing Beaks uh-huh. and this one is a co-op well mainly co-op multiplayer it's like a like a two-thirds perspective like shooter it's, it's like a shoot 'em up I don't know if you've played um like Enter the Gungeon it's like very similar to that or oh, okay. or kind of like Binding of Isaac it's similar to that right but it's just faster like Binding of Isaac is like a roguelike like slower, slower bullet hellish kind of game, and this one, I mean, you have like a dash. Like your character already moves fast, and you dash, and you play as different types of birds. Um, I don't know if there's a cockatiel in the game, but there are parrots, and there's similar looking birds, but there's other ones that haven't been revealed yet. Because well, here's an important them. question: If there's no cockatiel, no matter how much you like the game, no matter how much you're about to say you like the game right now or not, will you buy it without a cockatiel in it? Well, yeah, or is it cockatiel or no deal? No, there's plenty of other birds that are like. Listen, I was just building up to the rhyme of cockatiel or no deal. That's all that question was for. Oh. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, so essentially with one stick, you control the character. With the other stick, you aim your gun. Mm-hmm. Shoot with one of the buttons. Dash with the other button. Very simple. And you could do this with up to two to four people, I believe, which can get really fun. I only got to do the demo by myself. Because unfortunately, like it looked like the game at the time, I guess, didn't have a line. But good for me because I got to play it for a little bit but I don't know hopefully he gets more attention later because the game it's one that's barely gotten coverage to be honest yeah it has a, and I mean it has a nice like pixelated like art style I mean it's I mean I guess it's like I guess I'll have to say it's like, kind of generic because I mean it, I mean, it, it's well done but I mean we do see like a lot of out. I mean yeah, yeah. We, we do have like a lot of pixelated games so that might be kind of why it wasn't getting attention because like there's so I mean who doesn't have like for every indie showcase, I feel like half of them are like pixel artwork, and pixel, I mean I get and, and it. Pixel artwork takes a while to do well. Like I mean, yeah. animations, especially for that, are I don't know. The, but it's, like, a, it's definitely more like budget friendly. Yeah, I don't mean I don't mean the games can be cheaper. I mean like for upstart for new and up and coming developers, it's easier to do pixel art than to try and like jump full on into like Unity three yeah. D or whatever. It's like oh, I don't have to draw a face. I just have to draw. A square with another square, and then a couple squares under those squares. And surprise, it's a smiley. Yeah, if anything, you have to be really good at color theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. To like really make it work, like how to get yeah. the shading right to imply there's a face. I right. mean, there is a lot of nuances to pixel art that like takes a lot to appreciate. I mean, I don't know, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot to appreciate. That's what I should say. It does take a lot to appreciate, but when you get saturated with so much, it does kind of lose some of its luster, mm-hmm. as, as special as it may be. Mm-hmm. But the game I could definitely say that the gameplay is very fun like the bosses are tough the game in general is pretty tough and they have this mechanic in there where every as you're killing monsters and stuff that spawn you have to kill everything in the room before you could go to the next level mm-hmm. pretty much like Binding of Isaac in that sense but every once in a while a monster will drop an item and these items all have negative side effects like if you carry one you lose maybe any previously carried items that you have or all your damage is halved or Maybe you lose, like, twice as many hearts every time you get hit. So you're wondering, like, why would I need to grab these hearts anyway? Right. Or or these items, they're just bad. But 
if you make it to the store, there is someone at the store who will take these items from you and give you something even better. So it's kind of like adding a handicap to an already tough game, mm. which is just an interesting concept because... Makes it a little more accessible. Yeah, because usually you have like the useless item that doesn't do anything until you go somewhere. Right. But this one is like the item actively hurts you until you get rid of it. So, so not accessible. It's not the right word then. But yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, it's like, do you want it to be harder? Then here you go. Yeah, literally the opposite. And I mean, I, I, I don't just, know why I say accessible. It's the and I just like that. It's like a co-op shooter. I mean, there is a multiplayer mode where you do kind of just get to shoot at each other. Right. But I do like that it just has a cooperative campaign that, like, I mean, I would love it if Isaac had a proper multiplayer, but maybe that would end up making it too easy because it does have a multiplayer component to it but you have to Isaac, sac- you mean? yeah you sacrifice one of your lives and you get to control what you call a baby there's a floating little body that you get to control on your own and, you sh- and it also fires its own bullets mm. but I think it's like one hit on the baby and it dies this is like a full on character like I mean it doesn't feel like Cappy status or oh, or the other yeah. two player like it's a full on two player game kind of like Enter the Gungeon which is another I mean if you like that game you would love this game I mean that game I know did really well on the Switch apparently, but it did you know. super well. It uh, sold over a million copies on Switch alone, which is it's one of the top selling uh, indies on Switch period ever of all time. Yeah, so in the uh, two years it's been out. So I mean I'm hoping Blazing Beaks Three, yeah. does the same. I mean there's certainly an audience for it, is what it sounds like. Yeah, it, it's I mean, yeah it, exactly. It's like perfect for the Switch. So yeah, uh, what's kind of funny is as you were talking about, wait, when's it even come out? I'm trying to see if I could figure it out. Yeah, and once again at the time. I did not get an answer for that <laughs> for any of those. Uh, well, I am looking for a press release while you were describing it a bit, and a release date has not been announced, so that's why you didn't. Mm. That's Actually, why using your very long out. hand, can you grab that blue bag? What's in this blue mysterious blue I'm, bag? I'm a bad, very long arm. I guess your hand is pretty long too. Actually, I have small hands. Me and the president have something in common. We have small hands, but my arms are kind of lanky. Yeah, I'm lanky Kong with Trump hands. Uh, so the 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 developer was nice enough to give me like a. Take a little card that oh, talks, it is about, a little card. talks about one of the, the little pickups. It's called the Oblivion Stone, and it takes away your active ability, and it's a stone. Yeah, like so, the pictures of a stone. Yeah, and it actually has a Steam key. Yeah, I was about to say, you have a free copy of it on Steam on the back. Yeah, too bad it's on Steam, though. Okay, guys, here we go. We're giving it away right now. I would not do that to huh. you. Okay, you ready? It's I, A, no, here. <laughs> but Oh, they gave you the stone. Yeah, it actually Oh, the this is some cool stuff. I mean, it's just a polished stone, but it's a nice polished yeah. stone. Oh, and it comes in a separate bag. Wait, what? They well, give you multiple well, bags. Well, that, well, that came in that, yeah. In this oh, yeah, it comes in a little like little sack that looks like it's a little like medieval brown bag. Yeah, I mean that. I mean every every bird has like a different ability. Like the rooster comes with a shotgun, and if he kills enemies that have a target on them, he'll be able to kill them in one hit. Other... I want a polished stone from a game I play. Sorry, here's and so on. But yeah, it, it's it's fun. The most I got was like cards. Actually, Nintendo, I take the back. Nintendo pretty good swag at packs. They gave me, um, and everyone else. Uh, you could get a pin. You get I mean, I guess if you reach around, you could have that. I, we can figure this out later. I don't know what you're pointing to. Keep going. This is very riveting. Keep going. This is super riveting. You're, you're, you're almost I, there. He's trying to get me to bend my hand backwards 180 degrees. I mean, you could do it. Just believe. Or not even 108. You're so, you're, no, no. It's, it's right behind that. It's a lanyard. This? Yeah, that. What's this a lanyard of? Everyone, I have a lanyard of, oh, Thunderful. Oh, our buddies. Do you have one of these? Um, Did they give you two, I mean? I gave one to Elvis, but you can have that one. 
What a kind soul. You know, I like how we're like, look how cool swag we got, guys. You get none of it, but I'm taking a lanyard. No, but uh, – Because I know if you had the opportunity to get me like a Shantae pin at the convention, you would – Oh, totally like I totally would have done it instead yeah. of being like, yeah, I got you and then not getting it for you. Yeah. That didn't happen. I'm a very good friend. I got him the thing except by that I mean I forgot and I didn't. Yeah, I asked for one thing. And, uh, and I had one job and I failed. But thank you for the yeah. land. I can't take this lanyard in in good conscience because I didn't get you your Shante. No, thing. you should. Okay, I took it. Um, but yeah, the swag at PAX was kind of interesting because Nintendo. If you played Yoshi or any of the family friendly games, they gave you cardboard cutouts of all the Yoshi characters. You could build little dioramas, which is oh, kind of funny. Cool. But if you checked into my Nintendo, they gave you two pins, luxurious pins of the my Nintendo logo and the Switch Online logo. Like, why put character art when you can just put a red box with a logo oh. in it? A little you got weird. the logo, right? Huh? So you have the Switch I have the logo one. pins. Oh. And and if you played the they, they split their booth in two. Is it that one? Yes, it is. Oh. They uh it, for those that don't know what he's pointing to, it is a square. That's his my Nintendo <laughs> one and is red. Uh no, but they also it was interesting Nintendo split their booth in two. They had like the family friendly booth with Yoshi and some other games, and then they had the like mature game booth, which had like Mortal Kombat and uh Hellblade and a few others. Um so if you played a game in the mature booth, they weren't gonna give you Yoshi cardboard cows because that'd be weird yeah I just totally ripped the dude's spine out but I'd love to build this little poochie so instead they gave uh, Switch drawstring bags like you know like drawstring backpacks oh. it was actually like really high quality anyway we got off track we were talking impressions one of the games I got to play in the family friendly side of the booth when you were talking about Blazing Beaks actually kind of remind me of it because this too uh, was very heavy in the pixel art and very heavy in the co-op and that was Stranger Things 3, the game. Now, hear me out here. Yes, it's a licensed game. Uh, but the devs at Bonus XP, I think is who's making it, they they almost seem to be leaning in on what a like licensed game used to mean in the early 90s, like a complimentary game that retro that kind of like retrofits the IP, but then ma- makes it like match really well with like traditional gaming tropes. And you're like, oh, this actually like kind of makes like it's, it's that, but yeah, it's also it's this. Like, it's like in the Aladdin game, like, oh, exactly. Aladdin never threw a bunch of apples at people, but that's just his primary Exactly. Weapon. Like, like the meat of the game here is this co-op experience. It's actually kind of reminiscent of uh, like SNES era games like Zombies Ate My Neighbors or as the person I was paired up with at the demo pointed out, uh, the other player, you're going to love this one, Angel. Reminiscent of Goof Troop. That's the first game that came to mind when she was playing it. She's like, this is Goof Troop. This is just Stranger Things Goof Troop. Uh, or at least very similar. But basically, it's a top-down experience. You got some nice retro pixel art. You go room to room. You solve puzzles. You fight enemies all while you know teaming up with someone else to do it. Um, there apparently will also be a solo way to play. But for PAX East, the developers actually built a custom demo to show off all the different types of co-op gameplay you'll experience. And what's interesting, um, is, or funny really is the custom demo was mandated by Netflix because they didn't want any Season 3 spoilers out there. So they didn't want anyone to play anything relating to the final game because they're worried there'd be spoilers. Um, Problem there is I noticed that there's a lot of rat stuff, like rat-themed things in the game. There are enemies that are rats. There are statues um, that you use to solve puzzles, which are rats. And I connected that dot with the fact that if you watch the Season 3 trailer that came out last week for Stranger Things... Was the trailer? There was, and it has a lot of rats in it. So I pointed this out to the developer, and he got very coy about it. And was just like, don't tell Netflix marketing you noticed that. So what I'm saying, guys, is if you like Stranger Things, get ready for like a heavy, heavy dosage of ratage in the next, in the next season on, when it comes out on July 4th. Like it's going to be a lot of rats. A lot of rats. I'm a rat for ratting him out about the rats. And now you guys are in on the rats. But anyway, the game itself. Um, like I was saying, 
very heavy on the co-op. Uh, some of it is for like puzzle solving. So there are scenarios scenarios where I was Hopper and I had to flip security uh, camera switches while my partner as Joyce ran around and oh, use bolt cutters to open doors. And then there are others where we need to work together, such as the rat statues. We have to line those up a certain way using like kind of a riddle to solve. Or we have to find objects in a building. Like we had to build a fuse for a power box. We had to find pieces of what it would take to make a fuse and then put it together. Um, buildings actually going to be a key part of the game. Because we'd be collecting items not just for solving puzzles, but also for stat boosters for your characters and for other like in-game health things and whatnot. Uh, you and your partner actually do share your health, too. Um, the only thing that's different, you share your inventory, you share your health. The only thing that is separate is you collect coffee to power up your individual special attacks. But then those special attacks themselves are also a cooperative effort since you can combo them together. So as Joyce, my partner could do a, a spin move to stun enemies, you know, just like in the real Stranger Things where... Joyce never spins. Uh, and so there's a good example of like retrofitting it to a traditional gaming trope, like the apples and Aladdin you're talking about. But uh, so she did that as Joyce, and then as Hopper, I was able to charge into the stun stunned enemies to like a all at once sort of insta kill to them. So there's something like twelve characters in the final game, each with their own specials and ways that they kind of interlock with one another. Um, so that should offer some good variety for replayability. And uh, that that I mean that's kind of the the bulk of it. Like as it is. It was a fun throwback kind of game. Like I enjoyed it. Like um, it's a bit lighter. Uh, the puzzles aren't weren't. I mean, maybe just because it was a demo, the puzzles weren't particularly challenging, but they were kind of fun to figure out. And the riddle one involving the rat statues was kind of clever. Um, but I could see it being really entertaining to play through with a friend once you finish binging season three. Once it comes out in July, like the game actually releases day and date with the show, so I suspect on July fourth. So I suspect that's why Netflix anticipates a lot. Of, uh, you know, I think they expect a lot of people to go watch the show. And then turn around and play the game. So it's 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 clever pairing like that, and it's also just it's just fun. It's very throwback. It, there's not much more to say because I like that was the whole demo. Well, hopefully, the, they, hopefully they fix the character with the hat. I forgot his name. Hopper. No, the kid with the hat. What? Oh, Dustin. Dustin. Yeah. Oh, you mean fix his pixel art? No, fix like his character in the next season. Oh, oh I'm talking I about the, in the game. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking not talking about the show. Yeah, I, I'd be okay with that. Season one, Dustin's better than season two. Season two, Dustin made a lot of dumb choices, considering season yeah, one, Dustin was a smart one. Very out of character, yeah. dumb, pretty much. I mean, I guess the plot had to happen, and they, yeah, and they yeah, didn't totally, know totally. how to. But yeah, the do way it. he was obsessing over that, what's it, what's yeah. his name, was a bit much. Um, I will say though. Um, I forgot to mention this, but you know how I was saying they're making a unique scenario for this demo because they couldn't spoil anything? It was funny because by the end of the demo, they do the thing, and then basically the in-game dialogue is like, wait, none of this mattered? Why did we do this? This is point. What was the point of it? Which was kind of a funny little nod to mm-hmm. to it. But yeah, so that's um, that's Stranger Things 3, the game. I see why it's being pushed so heavily on Switch. Like, it's coming to other systems. It'll be on PS4, it'll be on PC, but they're pushing on Switch because it's such a co-op thing. Like it's definitely like the bread, like the meat on the bone of this is the is the co-op, the bread and butter. It's How many a, other food allergies can I do? It's a co-op thing. I think it's just called like Stranger Things Three. So they well, it's called Stranger Things Three, the game. That's its full name. Interesting. And they had a Stranger Things the game on mobile only. It's the same developer. They just so are expanding it out. Two. No, I think Stranger Things the game came out around the time of season two and kind of combined them. And this this one's like be made in tandem with the show and it's gonna dive deeper so it's not really recommended for people that haven't seen the first two seasons not well I mean did they, I don't know did they they say, say that, like, like you probably won't get a lot of the references I'm but... sure that's the case um, but they did say like for those who do watch the show they're gonna I mean they're, like they're banking on this show actually being popular yeah it's almost as if like they expect Stranger Things to be the hottest show on Netflix is it yeah Ugh. 
It's huge. It's huge. Stranger Things is the reason. Wait big, me, ugh, it's a good show. Pretty big reaction. I think it's like average at best. Season one was great. Season two, I okay. One thing I love about season two, spoiler, um, the whole thing's one big dug, dig dug analogy, which was just so cool. Well, not analogy, but like the whole thing was like a giant dig dug reference, which was a really cool thing. Like the same way season one was all about Dungeons and Dragons. I thought it's cool they did a video game reference for season two. But um, what was I gonna say? It's not season one stronger. I feel like I'm excited. Season three looks really good based on the trailer, but season two also had excellent trailers, and I liked season two. I just didn't love it as much. But if you do love the show and you're excited about it and you check out season three, what I was sorry to say is the game. They're actually going to do the whole like we're diving deeper into certain plot points, so there will be exclusive canon in the game. So it is actually a very complimentary experience to the oh, show. Look at that, yeah. Thank and if you. you've never seen the show, like. I mean, it's out in July. You got a solid April, May, June, July. You got a solid four months, guys, to to catch up in time for the show Endgame. But, yeah, so that's Stranger Things. Remember I said my transitions are getting worse? This is the last one I'm going to attempt, and I'm just going to hand over the reins. You can talk about whatever games you want. But speaking of things set in the 80s, like Stranger Things, I'm, I'm really sorry. These are getting really bad. Didn't you play a game set in the 80s as well? <laughs> God. Yeah. I can't even say it with a straight face. You play. I'm talking about Black Future '88. That's a game that you mentioned you played. I mean, it, the, the game says '88, but it might as well be like the year 8,088. Hold on. So you're telling me my horrible transition wasn't even accurate? I mean, if I started with Windjammers 2, then yeah. But then again, that one feels more '90s than anything. It's more '90s for yeah. sure. Windjammers 2 is the video game formal. You know those uh, solo cups that had the like the blue with the, the teal blue, with the... the teal with the wave, the red wave. Windjammers is video game version of that. But let's talk about – well, which one do you want to talk about first? Well, I guess. I'll just go with Black Future 88 first. All right, since I did my whole so, transition. <laughs> everything I said about pixel art, just pretend I said it again because <laughs> – Listen, we're saving you guys time at home. That's all yeah, we're doing. Yeah, I mean, very pretty, but, I mean, it also just starts to look like every other, like, futuristic pixel yeah. art game. Yeah. But, yeah, the game set in the – well, what looks like the future. It could just be, like, 1988 in an alternate reality where everything was like that. I mean, Blade Runner was apparently this year and um, – LA doesn't look like it's on fire. And you do have, and it is another twin stick shooter, but this one is a 2D platform instead of like a isometric perspective kind of game. And it's run it's kind of like it's like a faster more well, I guess I don't want to say more action packed, less bullety hell version of Cuphead. Um it reminds me more of oh, what's a good game to compare it to? I guess like Ninja Gaiden on the NES. That, that's sort of the vibe I got from it, watching the trailer. Because it's like, you, you have like a lot of mobility. Like, I mean, the character, I mean, the camera is a lot closer in. So it's not like you're seeing everything like going on at once. And you have like a pretty cool dash attack that lets you go through enemies. Like, what's you have to kill them or to deal more damage. And it also kind of works like a, like a ghosting effect. So you kind of like go fade through stuff. But it's very difficult. I act. I feel like I would have had less trouble with it if I was playing it on the Switch, but I was playing it on an Xbox One, which... Well, you're playing it with an Xbox One controller, and the only reason I'm pointing that out is apparently it's a console exclusive to Switch. So you're probably playing Xbox One controller hooked to a PC dev kit. It was probably a PC dev kit then. Yeah. But I don't know, I could have sworn I saw an Xbox One, but... Well, I mean... Maybe, the, maybe, maybe what or, I read was or, a lie. Or, or maybe... Other controllers? No, I don't know. I want to say it was an Xbox One because... Well, Xbox One controllers are USB controllers and all work with Windows PCs. Yeah, but I mean, wouldn't it still use the same button inputs as a, as a pro controller, though? No. Oh, no, you might be playing the Steam build. It's console exclusive, not 
totally exclusive. Oh, okay, then it must have been that. I just made this more confusing. Yeah, sorry. Or, but, I just, I just, I made a note here because I was like trying to catch you. Gave so Angel gave me a whole list of the games he played, and I had the list. Basically, That's how able to do these horrible transitions. And um, basically, no. Man I made yes, a note next to it yeah. saying console. Basically, no man, yes, and yes, man, no. Because right. the a, oh, I hate we because because the, the A and B are inverted, and I was like every time I tried to get going, I kept like. Not I kept backing out of stuff, and every time I tried to accept things, I was. Could we like? Out. It was like why? Like as an industry, can everyone just accept that Nintendo did it first with A B where they are, and we shouldn't be living by the standard that Sony and Microsoft later on were like, no, 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 it should be the other way around. Like, no, guys, you missed the boat. Nintendo did the thing first. If you're gonna rip off the directs, if you're gonna do inside Xbox and stay to play, you're gonna accept A and B in that order. That is my the, the promise first... to you. I'm running for president of the United States. No, go ahead. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the the mental patience to muscle memory an Xbox controller into my brain. Like, I mean, it took me a while. I mean, right now, now theoretically, it's the same as a PlayStation controller. It's just labeled different. Uh, it's weird because the PlayStation controller just feels completely different. Yeah, like the but but, the Xbox like, One's closer. Yeah, that. yeah, that's what, like. The, it's still the, called the, AD. The, 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 yeah, the Pro controller and the Xbox One controller feel almost exactly yeah. the same, except that the buttons are rounded on the Xbox One. Right, right. So that really threw me off. On the PlayStation One, I never have an issue pressing X versus Circle. I mean, it also doesn't help that they're labeled A and B, like a pro yeah. controller. Yeah, at least Xbox is uh, yeah. X and O. Yeah. Oh, I mean, at least PlayStation. <laughs> oh, yeah, PlayStation. Man. Yeah. Already my presidential platform is falling apart. My whole but, platform was I'm running on the promise of switching the controller buttons in case. Yeah, I mean, but, but, I mean, but, I mean, I, can't, I feel like I'm going like, more rapid fire through this because I feel like we're, the more and more games you play, the more they start to like kind of clash. Like, I mean, it's just another tough shooter, but it's from a 2D perspective and. It has good art. I don't know. I feel like if it was the first game I talked about, yeah, I would spend more time on it. But well, yeah, I mean, we there we, really we, isn't much else to say because I mean, it was just like a quick little demo of a level where you're just like killing a bunch of dudes. And we have more impressions in this episode than you get when you order a baker's dozen of bagels by about three or four. So like, it's understandable because you know when as you continue to eat through the bag of bagels solo because you're a freak. Um, by bagel number twelve, you don't know if you're eating sesame or poppy seed. Everything's just an everything bagel at that point. I mean, point. it's challenging and creative. Like, I mean, yeah. I fought a boss that had two bosses at once. You had this giant machine that was shooting lasers at you that would target you, so you would have to constantly be moving so you wouldn't get locked onto. But then you also had this other shadowy figure that, if you stayed on one lane for too long, it would just rush at you with like crazy electricity moves. Right. So you're pretty much always moving, trying to find your footing, and just had a few moments to like shoot at one of them before you had to start moving again. So it's very rapid pace. So if you don't like that kind of game, you probably wouldn't. I mean, it's funny because Cuphead almost feels like a slower version of it. But that really? One, but that one is, well, movement-wise. Because, okay. I mean, Cuphead himself moves pretty slowly. Yeah. Like, I mean, the run speed isn't that fast. The jumping is, like, a little more on the floaty side. This is has it's just much faster. It's like everything is kind of, like, on times two speed. Huh. But there, Including you're talking right now. I but there is, yeah, but there is less... <laughs> But there are less bullets flying at you than on cover. Right. To right. kind of compensate for it. So it's almost like it could be labeled. Maybe. It's balanced differently. Yeah, it's just balanced differently. Yeah. But yeah, it was fun and it's definitely unique. On the other hand, of the spe- on the other side of the spectrum, we have Windjammers 2. 90s, the video game. Yeah. And this is the sequel. We are getting, I believe, part one and part two simultaneously. Yes. I don't know if they're simultaneous, but yeah, they're both coming to Switch. Very yeah, close together. Yeah, because we didn't get the first one when it came out and... I mean, it's a very simple concept. It's 1v1, like, ultimate Frisbee. But intense. But it's like Frisbee combat. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I mean, I didn't really play part one, but since I got to play part two, like, I kind of just ignored the first one. And this one... I think part two is almost sort of a remake of part one on some level, but with more stuff, Yeah, it basically is. It's it's 
they're comparing Smash Brothers 64 to with, each other. Yeah. Yeah, they just improved on it. And you have like crazy stereotypical looking characters that, I mean, that's the whole point of it. It's like a mock of the 90s, which mm-hmm. is great. Like the art style, like, is emblematic of it. It looks like the. It pretty much looks like they took like 2D art of like magazine, I don't know, I guess models from the 90s that are trying to look rad and cool. It's like the game just tubular, looks like. Or not the 80s. Yeah, it's like if you took the words like, yeah, rad and tubular and just, and just put, slapped it on and yeah, made yeah, it put, into a yeah, human face. Yeah, put them into a machine <laughs> that gave you a game and that's kind of what you get. So the game essentially, it's like um, kind of like foosball. I mean, you have the frisbee, but all you're doing is just like throwing the. Oh no! Actually, it's more like pong, if anything, because hmm. you're throwing the frisbee at each other and you're trying to angle it in such a way that your opponent doesn't get to it in time and you score into their goal. Mm-hmm. But during that time, you have a meter that builds up, so you could do like a super strong attack. But you have to time your blocks just right so that you can, you know, not get like days and like get a free shot in. Right. But the frisbee can also like fly upwards towards the, towards the camera, which you know looks kind of weird. But you can also like jump at it or you know, period correctly. It's very quick. It's very fun. It's the it's the kind of game that you I mean if you are just you and one other friend you could get a couple rounds in. Definitely not like four or five player friendly, but you know, I would recommend Good it if you have a switch and the person next to you on the airplane's like, What you playing? and you give them a Joy Con. Exactly. Yeah. Which is not all scenario I've ever had happen yeah. in my life, but it's a possibility. Simple to pick up, tough to master. Right. Crazy art style. Stands out a lot. So basically exactly what Switch is made for. Yeah. Yeah. What else do yep. you got? I gave up on transitions. What else do you um, got? Last one. This one reminded me some help with you because I know you played the game too. I did a little. Yeah, Skellboy. So I played Oh, yeah, game. yeah, Skellboy. Yeah. So I don't know if you played the same demo that I did that started in like a little theater looking place. I think I started in the middle of the demo because I, I, we, the night before PAX went to kind of like a, almost like an indie mix or dev thing, but it was like, it's made by, um, Oh, what's the, what's the name of the company? It's a company that actually does, like, they help teach people how to develop games and provide resources and stuff. And then some developers have are incubated out of it into, like, being actual, you know, big-name games like Skellboy. I mean, Skellboy comes from uh, Fabraz, which is the team behind Slime Sands. Like, they're established. Oh, Slime Sands. Yeah. Um, but the I was at specifically the event that I played it was I'm, – I'm buying time as it – Playcrafting. That's the name of the company. Um, and it was, like, mid-demo because it was, like – you know, kind of like a after hours, like they had a bar and stuff. I and mean, I just kind of walked up to the machine. But I will say what it felt like was, at least in the very brief time I spent in the middle of the demo, Paper Zelda. <laughs> like, yeah. it, not actually paper, but it had the same, like, 2D objects, oh, yeah. 3D I mean, world. It reminded me of, like, N64 Paper Mario graphics. Yeah, but but a little more, like, like kind of also pixely at the same time. Well, yeah. Because well, it, well, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's pixel characters, but they were like, it looked like they were like taped to a piece of cardboard well, yeah, or a piece of metal. Yeah, and, and 64 Paper Mario is very yeah. pixely. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it, right. uh, it's basically kind of Zelda y from what I gathered. Yeah, I mean, I mean had, maybe you could talk a little I, bit I more mean, about it. I mean, the controls are basically your typical Zelda. I mean, yeah. you move around in all eight directions, you swing your weapon, but it's very much a puzzle game. Like, you have to kill enemies, take their heads or their bodies to replace yours because depending on what head you have at the time, depend changes how. You interact with the world. So you might be at a place where it's death. So it's like, oh, no undead allowed. So you probably have to find some other head to trick them into letting you in. But I wish I could have gone it further. I mean, I pretty much got the hang of the controls and the movement, which mm-hmm. is very simplistic. I mean, Which have, is basically as far as I got. Yeah, you, you have a jump. I mean, you could get grab different weapons depending on what you kill, like whether it's like a goblin or a zombie. Yeah. You get a giant club or a sword or a little tinier club. 
But <laughs> wow, what what weapon variety? A I club, a sword, well, and yeah, a smaller but, club. But the thing is, like, I couldn't get much further than that because I was I was essentially stuck. I went everywhere. Like I grabbed, I completely turned my my skull boy into a zombie that did not activate anything. Then I interacted with every door I could find that did not do anything. Hmm. Then I went to the stage, and then I was kind of hoping, like, the were developer. You hoping I'd be like, well, when I play. No, it. no, no. Well, the developers were there right behind me, but yeah, they weren't really being very. I mean, they were just like, I don't know if they were. They might just... be watching to see if you figure it out because they well, no, take no, notes no, of that. No, they and... were just chatting with people. Oh, like I think they were chatting with like a buddy because I mean they were just like having a grand old time, and I'm like, huh, are anyone going to notice that I haven't progressed for the last like. 10 15 minutes oh is that log you were stuck there well yeah because i was trying i was literally trying everything Oof. like i hit everything i could find i don't know if maybe that was just the length of the demo but well listen slime stand it... was supposedly a, a difficult platformer right like that was the whole is like one of those tough yeah, as nails I mean, platform yeah, so like maybe they're like how you make zelda tough as nails you just get people stuck just make it very <laughs> obscure like the most yeah. obscure puzzle you can but i mean all i've got from it is that it has a lot of potential i like the art style a lot yeah because i I'm curious to see how like the head flopping mechanic will get into effect further on. I mean, I know like when you have the zombie head, you take more damage, more, mm-hmm. and you're also losing damage gradually. But yeah, so I'm assuming there's going to be different heads that maybe will give you other buffs, or maybe you have to combine them with other body parts to get I don't know unique combinations that might activate other things. Right, so, right. Yeah, the potential is there. It's a really interesting, unique concept. It's just yeah. the execution. We have to wait and see. Yeah. The only funny thing is like. I guess since that hit, since that movie, movie, since that game was about swapping heads. Yeah. Um, I did play another game that's about swapping heads, Head Snatchers. For the record, I did not queue up this 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 segue. I have just influenced him this much this episode that he's just doing it on his own, and they are excellent. That yeah. was better than my '80s one. Yeah. So Head Snatchers, as of now, we don't know if it's coming to Switch. The dev, the developers really wanted to come to Switch because it's a local co-op like party game. It's like perfect for Switch, and the gameplay. It's almost kind of like WarioWare. It's like oh. war- it's like war- oh, you have my attention now. It's like Warriors, WarioWare slash Mario Party. You so, really have my attention, but now. it also has online multiplayer if you don't have you local friends. You really have my attention. Now. So essentially, you just pick a character. It really doesn't matter who because they they all control exactly the same. They just all have different heads, and these heads come off. So you're supposed to right at the start of the of each game, you essentially go through like a gauntlet of mini games. Like back to back to back to back. Uh-huh. And right at the beginning of each mini game, you are given like a very quick, like little animated scenario that tells you what to do. Like there are no words. You just have to observe it and be like, okay, I got it. Like one example was you see like two little characters with like their heads attached, and then one of them punches the other one and then takes the head off of them and throws them into the water, and then a shark eats it. So you're like, okay, I guess I have to knock the other people out, like knock them out and then take their heads and feed it to the sharks. Yeah. And as those heads are thrown into the water, you see the shark coming for them. So if you lost your head, you still have time to go grab it or grab someone else's head. And once there's one person remaining, it's over. And then it goes to the next one. And then you see like, okay, that person got, that person got knocked out. They grabbed their head and they jumped on a trampoline and scored a, a slam dunk with it on a basketball hoop. So then everyone's just like, Running at so each it's Wario, it's WarioWare, but instead one word prompts. It's like ab- relatively straightforward, quick cut scenes. Yeah, they're, they're, and then you yeah, do a they're, Mar- they're like little game. pantomime. Yeah, scenes that, that actually sounds very cool. Yeah, that and, sounds great. On, like, and then there, and then there's somewhere like, and every button is like different. Like, it, I mean, you have like an action button that just changes what it does depending on right. the game. Like in one, it will like ensure you do a slam dunk. In another one, there's like a Cthulhu sound monster that you have to 
pretty much give up the head like, as a sacrifice, and it's very easy like to stop. Well, it's easy enough to try to stop people, but you know, depending on how good you are at dodging right. those tackles and stuff, right? Like it helps you out. Like there's another one where you have to like grab people's heads and throw them in a the toilet, and then go to the flusher so you can flush them down the toilet. But you have to do that while trying not to get your head taken off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hence the game, the name Head Snatchers. So that I'm, sounds so perfect. So I'm really actually. hoping it comes to Switch, but who knows at this point? There's a, there, I had a similar I mean, experience. It, it doesn't even have any kind of... The visuals aren't even so... Complex. Complex that I feel like it's nothing the Switch can't do. Yeah. So I don't know. It yeah. seems like what I was getting... Like, I feel like Gang Beats is a game that always would make sense on Switch, but just never came to Switch. At least not yet. Yeah, I mean, it was announced for Wii U at some point. I know. Maybe it still will come to Wii U. I yeah. doubt that. But I did have a similar experience uh, to what you had. as like a game that you wanted Switch that wasn't. Um, There's a game at PAX called Panzer Paladin. It's actually from the team behind Flint Hook, so like they're a pretty well known indie team. Oh, Flint Hook. Yeah. And it's basically Mega Man with a sword. So like it kinda goes into the whole like there's a lot of two D side scrolling platforms like pixel art. But it's cool because like you can attack close range with the sword, you could throw it from afar, so it's kinda Mega Man y, but you also can like in addition to just do that, jump out of the suit and then you're just tiny little person. It turns out your uh your suit, what looks like just like a coat of armor is actually like a whole giant mech, and then you have this little person that can come out and that person has a whole separate set of moves where they have a whip so suddenly you're kind of playing castlevania but then the whip can also be used to grapple to things so you're kind of playing bionic commando so it's like mega man with segments of castlevania and hints of bionic commando and it all controls really responsibly really well it's really solid it feels very mega man-esque it's just like what if you took all these other elements from these other games and just sort of like merged them into like a it's like the melting pot of eight bit and eight bit NES action games is what I'm saying. But uh yeah, it's it's not out till spring twenty twenty. There's not much else to say. That's the game. But it's not out till spring twenty twenty and I'm saying they're playing it, I'm like, okay, it's not out for a year. This is really solid. I could see it resonating well with the Shovel Knight crowd or any Nintendo fan. Like I assume they're gonna bring it. In the same way that Head Snatcher just makes sense on Switch, I assume this will just come to switch at some point but it, yeah it, i mean i don't have much to say about it except like i was playing i just like much like with you with uh head snatchers like it makes sense on Switch. i'm just kind of like why is this not announced for switch yeah. so we'll see well but speaking of things not announced for switch but yeah. this one can't be because it's a vr game i just really wanted to talk about it briefly because it was just really different from other vr games i played yeah what, what game um this one is trevor save the universe so if you're is that the um justin roiling game yeah it's by uh, rick and morty fan. yeah it's by squanch games which is his studio Yep, and um, I don't know that that game is it's fun. Like normally VR games are like these kind of um, you know, like you're like walking around in the world and interacting with stuff. But this one kind of does to that and a traditional game at the same time. You play as like a sit downian. That's not the word for it, but that's like kind of what it sounded like. You're pretty much a a being that is just forever sitting on a chair because you're playing it on a couch or on ah, something. So you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So they're pretty much replicating like. They're ex- what giving, you're doing. They're giving a lore reason why you're not moving. And it still has that, like, typical, like, Justin Rowling kind of humor. So Rick and Morty. That's also very, like, they use that a lot, like, to explain things. They give you played Accounting Plus. They did not make that game, but it's very similar in that sense where, like, in the beginning of the game, I forget what the actual, like, lines were, but mm-hmm. essentially you're facing it. You're watching a TV at your house. You're just, like, chilling there. And then the TV, like, there's, like, a... You're watching a show where a couple's, like, arguing at each other, and one of them's like, oh, like, Teresa... Man, if only you were, like, to answer the phone right now. Oh, man. You got it, the inflection it, down it, cold it, it, there. It'd be so nice if you were to answer the phone because, like, you, you should really answer the phone. Like, answer it right now. Like, you should turn around and answer the phone. 
and then eventually you're like, oh, I should turn around and answer. Eventually, the phone. you're like, oh, not after the first ten minutes. Well, because of that. sometimes you just want to see like where the skit goes. Oh, of and course. Yeah. You use like the D-pad to like pretty much turn yourself around without actually physically turning yourself around, but you can still look around as much as you can. And then like you know you press buttons, but then eventually you get to control this character, Trevor, that. It's like this blue dude, but with the controller, you pretty much control him like a typical like 3D platformer. So you get to run around as him and attack with his sword and jump around and, I don't know, just kill enemies. But you're still confined to the couch, so you can't... The camera doesn't follow him. Like You're just seeing him from where you are, so you could have him run off like into the distance and off screen, and uh-huh. you won't be able to see him. So you have to constantly move to these like teleporting or, I guess, movement points. But, I don't know, it's just a... Uh, that sounds it's, like, it's, a, it's, that sounds it's, like it's, a really it's, clever way to get around the um, limitations of VR. Yeah, it's it's fun and it's really well written. I don't know. If it's really of course, funny. it's Justin Roiland. I feel like part of the reason you want to talk I mean, about this it, is you just want to show off your Justin Roiland inflection impersonation. Oh you no, just think, that was good. That was that was solid. But but yeah, it was it was fun. It was very fun. You know what game I wish they were, they had, but didn't. Like I don't know why it was announced in the Nindy showcase. I assumed it was going to pop up at either GDC or PAX, but it was nowhere to be seen, much to my surprise. And that was none other than Cadence of Hyrule, which is like a really big deal of a game, you know? Yeah, I was kind of surprised it wasn't at GDC either. Yeah, it was just like, I don't, I don't know where it was. I don't understand. But it's it's weird because, um, well, first of all, I guess it's kind of thing that we're talking about at the end of the show here because we're sort of much like one thing I thought the Nindy Showcase did really good is they bookended all those announcements with two basically in the Nintendo world bombshells, Cuphead and Kane's High Roll. So now we're kind of doing that too since this is our final game that we're talking about. But um, it's crazy because like Nintendo actually gave an indie developer access to one of their biggest IPs, which in and of itself is like wild. But it looks really, really good. I mean. I had hoped last episode we were talking about rumors of a second smaller Zelda game coming to the eShop. And I was hoping it was going to be Four Swords HD, as I said last episode. But I can definitely sell for this because, like, the whole trailer was just, it just felt like the perfect mic drop for the presentation. I mean, or, you know, for the showcase. Like, they start with what looks like just kind of a sequel or expansion to Crypto the Necrodancer, which is what it's based on. Uh, and then they slowly started building, like, bringing in Zelda music and some familiar locales and some familiar looking enemies and then all of a sudden it went all in the beat dropped the full Zelda world appeared the full music started playing it was just so well done like everything about this game just seemed so well done I mean the pixel art is apparently being worked on by the guys that do Sonic Mania or did Sonic Mania Um, and there's even clever little nods to the concept of the game like the actual name of the game in full is not Cadence of Hyrule it's Cadence of Hyrule Crypt of the Necrodancer featuring the Legend of Zelda which is exactly what you would call it if it was a song. Hmm. So it's like really clever how every angle of it, you know, like a song with a featured artist. So it's really clever how like every angle of it just is so perfect. But I, I do have a confession to make. I have never actually played Crypt of the Necro Dancer. So that's what Can- Can't I Rule is building on, what's based on. You've played it though, haven't you? Like what is what is that game like? I like everything I see in this game, but like is it going to be good based on what you played of Crypt of the Necro Dancer? Like is that... It's a game that takes a long time to get used to because it's definitely unlike any other game you've ever played. So what are like the mechanics of it? Because it's like a Zelda game where you can't move when you want to. You have to constantly move to the beat. So every, Ah. like literally every movement and action has to be on beat. And there's like a heart, like a, yeah, like a heart on the bottom Mm -hmm. that 
that kind of like helps keep the tempo so like every so if it's like boom 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 that's literally how fast you can move like every single boom is just one step right and every single boom is also one sword swing or one dodge or one like button like item is, is that item activation and is that true for the enemies too though so yeah, they also yeah. No, yeah, yeah, they, so it's they, also yeah, like it's also, like rhythmic chest maneuvering yeah so it's really easy to die if you're not careful because you might like take for granted how pretty much how easy, how easy it is to get like caught up or like under stress you might miss the beat and then you'll get like you have to wait like another whole like beat to move on again like because you could right. you could stutter in it uh-huh. but then you when you fight some bosses or different things like the beats change up like you might get like a boom 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 and then suddenly you get uh-huh. to do like three moves back to back yeah but they also get to do three moves back to back so uh, i see it's tough i haven't i'm not very far into it i've just played enough to feel like okay cool i need to really dedicate a lot of time into this to get good at it because it's right. it's kind of tough in the beginning or maybe you just wait for cadence it's supposed to be out this spring the the, the thing i'm most curious about um, i mean the switch version just has so much dlc included in it oh uh, yeah so yeah. there's a lot of content in there but, yeah, yeah the the it, it actually i like the idea of it but it does sound kind of challenging i'm 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 honestly mostly curious to see just how deep like the zelda connection is gonna go for cadence five roll because they they've they're promising the game's gonna have 25 different zelda remixes in it but i'm wondering like how many different locations from Hyrule are we going to see? Like, uh, you know, what's going to make the jump in terms of references from various games in the series? How many games in the Zelda series? Is it all of them? Is it some of them? Like, it seems like... Like, I noticed in the trailer, it was only a minute long, right? But I already noticed, like, there's Sheikah Slate-looking statues, which is obviously a Breath of the Wild reference, but then there's also, like, the Armist Knight wearing the guitar, which is, one, an awesome visual, and two, clearly a Link to the Past reference. So it seems like... there's. It really seems like they're pulling from all sorts of different... Zelda, so it almost it almost might be like a Hyrule Warriors, but set to music. Oh, I guess they're like, well, we got the license, let's go crazy. Yeah, which is really cool, and and actually, that's like beyond just being a super cool idea. That is what's so significant about this to me is they got the license to Zelda. Like, I think it it's significant not just because like, oh, cool, and indie got the license, but it seems to represent to me just how strong Nintendo's dedication to the indie scene is. Because, like, you know, they've come an incredibly long way from the WiiWare days. Yeah. And handing over the rights... It's definitely more than any other AAA company has done, if you think right? about it. Yeah, like, handing over the rights to a game as big as Zelda is a statement as much as it is a cool opportunity. Like, this is Nintendo putting its money where its mouth is and essentially declaring, Hey, Indies, if you support us, we've got your back. In fact, we've got your back so much that if you work with us on our platforms, we may give you the opportunity to make a game based on one of your favorite childhood franchises. Like, that's how much we want to support you. And that's an insanely powerful enticement for an indie developer, I'd imagine. Like, especially if there, there are these reports flowing around that apparently Miyamoto and Aonuma personally sought out making this happen because they are really into Crypto Necrodancer themselves. Oh, like, wow. they love playing it. That's I don't know if that's true. It's flowing around the internet. But if that's the case, like, can you imagine being an indie dev and you have the choice of you could bring it to PS4, you could bring it to uh, Steam, or you could bring it to Switch where, like, the legendary Shigeru Miyamoto may check out your game and be like, let's give him an IP of ours. Like, that's a crazy incentive. It's super cool. Obviously, for most folks, that's not going to happen, but it's super cool. And I feel like it's really forward-thinking of Nintendo, too, because, like, right now, yeah, Switch is the IT system, has all the buzz in the indie community. It's basically the portable Steam machine. Um, and it's resulting in very big success for in- for Nindies. I feel like whenever I talk about an indie success, I like to drop a bunch of random numbers, do a little stat dump. So we were talking earlier, Enter the Gungeon has already sold over a million copies on Switch alone. In addition to that, Dead Cells, over a million copies across multiple systems, but Switch is the best-selling version. Then you got smaller tiles like Toe Jam & Earl, the new one that just came out, 40% of all its sales are on Switch. 
and even a company like FDG Entertainment, they're the ones that do Blossom, that did Blossom Tale and Monster Boy. They are very happily reporting that their games combined have sold over two hundred thousand on Switch. So like every level of indie seems to be finding success on Switch, and that's great right now. But Nintendo needs to, wants these indies to be cozied up with them for let's say the next system where maybe maybe it's not as successful right out the gate but they have all these games right there and they have all these indies that are super into the into the nintendo ecosystem that's an easy way to ensure whatever comes next will also have success or at least have games and of course for nintendo even with switch's massive success currently it you know this helps fill out the library it lets them release more games that are Nintendo games, quote unquote, without actually like having to put in the dev resources. You know, we see them do it in the past with uh, Namco Bandai and Ubisoft and Next Level Games. You know, they work on everything from like Star Fox, Mario and Rabbids to Luigi Mansion games, and it's just interesting because we've never seen them do it with a small studio like this. Let alone this a studio this, like there's small studios and then there's Brace Yourself Games. This is Brace Yourself Games' second release ever. And they're making a Zelda game. Like, no pressure. No pressure. But, like, it's crazy if you think about it. I'm sure it'll do well. Like, the last time Nintendo handed off Zelda to an outside team, we got Four Swords and Minish Cap. And it was made by Capcom's offshoot studio called Flagship. And both were great. So, like, I'm pretty confident Nintendo's doing, knowing what they're doing here. The game looks great. Uh, but it does raise an interesting question, which is kind of like the final thought, I guess, or the final talking point we have for this episode, which is now that the floodgates are open for indies to pick up Nintendo franchises, what's next? Like, what would we want to see? Because right after the Cancer of Hyrule reveal, NOA's indie liaison, Kirk Scott, uh, he was speaking with VentureBeat, and he said he'd love for more collaborations like this. So this is not a one-and-done. Like, if you think about it, it's a very easy way for Nintendo to revive older franchises that people are asking for. So I'm kind of like, what would you want to see potentially as others i mean the one that immediately comes to mind to me is like hand over f-zero to the fast racing and fast remix team at shine yeah, but this is he's like i don't know if we can expect stuff like that because this is basic they're not making a zelda game they're making uh that's a crypt yeah. of the necro dancer sequel but it has zelda in it it's almost like so a, it's a, yeah so it'd be like oh it'd be like if like let's say image for me like a steam world dick three but they included i don't know like Monty Moles or something. I don't know. I mean, obviously it'd be, it'd be something be much bigger, bigger than, than Monty Moles, yeah. but or like if, I mean, if, if Dot Club I Games snuck in like Link, a Zelda Two version of Link into a shovel, like Shovel Knight meets Hyrule or something. Yeah, Zelda Two, or or actually, no, it'd be a really cool. One. Um, I mean, I guess it'd be like if like um, I don't know, like the character, like the sequel to where they like Black Future Radiate like took place like on all the metroid levels or something that'd be cool. yeah like i feel like that would be like a more fitting a one. cool one would be um they announced it during the um apple arcade reveal there's a new shantae coming shantae 5 mm. be kind of cool i mean it's pirate themed it's hand-drawn art it's very similar in structure to wario land throw wario in there do shantae versus wario or something like when obviously it would never come to apple arcade but it is coming to switch shantae 5 but they did a shantae spinoff on switch where it's like a Wario Land hybrid, that I think would be kind of cool. Yeah. And even, you know, honestly, even if they did at the F-Zero thing I was just saying, like, they could, like, the F can stand for fast. It can be fast racing meets F-Zero. Oh, yeah. Fast Zero. Like, it still works on some level. But yeah, I do get what you're saying. That it's not just going to be straight up handing them over. Um, it's actually interesting because, like, a lot of the ideas we came, you know, a lot of the ideas that people are flowing around that I just mentioned right now, they're kind of in line with what Nintendo's philosophy was with Mario and Rabbids. Like, I remember 
Miyamoto, there's a story that came out when Mario Rabbids was, you know, all the press tour for Mario Rabbids, and Miyamoto challenged the developers when the game oh, yeah, was first in development. basically one, but I'm yeah. big this Yeah, thing. and that, that at the time, Miyamoto was just like, hey, make a game where Mario doesn't jump. Like, if you want to do a Mario game, cool, but make it to where he doesn't jump. And if you look at Cans of Hyrule, I guess to your point, it is basically the Mario doesn't jump. It's a similar strategy. Make a Zelda, <laughs> but, but it's a rhythm normally. game. <laughs> yeah, make a Zelda, but you can't move more normally. Make a Zelda, but it's a rhythm game first. It's like whatever Nintendo does, it probably won't be anything like what we're thinking. It's probably going to be even more wild than just mashing up games. Our our friend Earl on Twitter. I guess it, it, this would be like somewhere where we would get like the, I forgot, like the Zen pinball people. Like if, let's say, Metro Prime pinball never existed. Right, if they did Metro Prime yeah, pinball. Yeah, it'd be like if they came yeah. up with Metro Prime pinball. Yeah. It's like make a Metro game where Samus can't shoot. Our friend uh, Earl on Twitter who goes by Break a Bone, if anyone, you know, got to give credit where it's due here. He had a really kind of cool idea. He was saying it'd be kind of cool if um, Nintendo made a WarioWare, but all the micro games were developed by different indie studios. They which, almost did which, that in DIY, they had yeah, a they had some spotlights. Like, Super Meat Boy was had a and not only by that, Edward not only that, but if you think about the concept of WarioWare, the premise of the game is Wario wants to have other people make him a bunch of games so he can make money. So literally doing that in real life would be very meta and very perfect. So I am on board with that. But yeah, I think like in all honesty, I think whatever Nintendo does. It's going to be not what we're expecting. It's going to be a surprise. And honestly, like, really at the end of the day, it's that level of surprise. It's stuff like the Cans of Hyrule might drop out of nowhere. That's what makes being a Nintendo fan so fun. Like, that's what makes I – mean, I mean, obviously, besides them just making good games. But I feel like that's a driving force of why I think we're big enough fans to do a podcast like this in general. It's just like – the fact that they could kind of just catch us off guard or do weird things we wouldn't expect. Like, not to not to tone Nintendo's own PR line here or anything, but they do like to surprise and delight, as they often say. And it's, like, it's those surprises and delights that I feel like are what keep us engaged with them. I mean, And they make good games. But, like, I don't know. It just felt like, this, like, Kansas High Roll was really like, oh, yeah, this is a very Nintendo moment. And uh, what I'm building here, what I'm building towards here is that we've been doing this podcast for a long time. In part because of intense surprise and delight. And next episode is actually our 200th episode. So while this one may be winding down as of right now with me declaring such, um, you won't want to miss our next episode, episode 200, which shows up on April 14th, back on our usual every other Sunday schedule. Because uh, we're going to have a giveaway. We're going to discuss things like uh, Google Stadia and Apple Arcade and what that means for Nintendo and really just the future of gaming in general. And uh, we're, of course, going to weigh in on that intriguing rumor of Nintendo planning not one but two new pieces of Switch hardware for this year. It was just too much to fit in this episode. Like, this episode was a lot of GDC. We gave a lot of impressions, a lot of packs. We gave a lot of impressions. So, you know, with our bajillion impressions, we kind of ran out of time. But to make sure you don't miss the next episode, we're going to talk about the future of gaming on a higher level and all those interesting new streaming and subscription platforms and what have you um you can subscribe to us on stuff everything we're on uh apple podcast google podcast stitcher tune in um spotify youtube our channel is ramnintendo.com you can also follow us on twitter at ramnintendo you can follow us individually i am jsr7 he is wero w-e-i-r-o underscore o and you are especially going to want to follow and subscribe uh, uh to ram nintendo itself because again just for emphasis our next episode is episode 200, and milestones meet giveaways, and you could win things, and you'll want to win things. So I think we're going to leave it there for this episode. Are there any parting thoughts you have as we marathon through 
we complete our marathon through so much convention stuff. Mm, no. You almost dropped your mic. Yeah, mic drop. That was a mic drop. That was our mic drop. We'll see you at episode 200.